Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Are you a brew head? I'm a brew head. Y'all a brew heads? Yeah, we brew heads. So pour a glass of craft beer. We can do this. Yeah. What's good, y'all? This is C Certified Brewhead, and welcome to episode 104 of Beer Not the Podcast Adjunct Series. We are back after almost or a little over two months, actually. Summer break. The uh, things got a little crazy. Um, as you can tell, we're in, if you're watching right now, we're in a whole new set. I am in a, you know, I moved house, moved back to Ontario, uh, which, as if anyone's moved, you already know it's a uh, pretty ridiculous process, and it uh, I severely underestimated how long it would take to to get settled. Um, but we're back. It's been uh, a nice little break now. I'm really excited to get back into the content with a new set that's kind of this is like the first iteration. We're going to keep tweaking it, but now we have a, a allocated space in the crib for uh, for the pod, and I'm uh, pretty excited about it. So. Um, I'm going to get this, this crack in here. So this evening we're going to uh, be chatting with a brewery from Toronto. This is a brewery that uh, I was familiar with when I first, not maybe when I first, but probably at a reasonable part of the craft beer journey back in maybe 2015, around that time I first discovered them and visited their original brew pub. So it's been really cool to watch them grow. And I actually don't know a ton about the story itself, so I'm really excited to, to hear all about it. So guys, please welcome Stuart from Junction Brewery in Toronto. Welcome, sir. How are we doing, How's man? I'm doing great. Great to great to meet you. Thank you for hanging yeah. out. No worries. Thanks for having me on. Genuine pleasure, bro. Um, man, got a lot to talk about this evening. So what we're going to do, we're going to get right into things with this bad boy right here. It is crispy time, so why not have a Junction Crispy Light Lager, which... Yeah. Um, they're all the rage with the kids these days, eh? This uh, this style. I feel like they're um, I'm seeing them a lot. Yeah, you know, our um, uh, our head of production, Andrew Bartle. Uh, oh, I know Andrew. Yes. Name, yeah. So he runs our production team, and uh, he was pretty pumped about uh, this product. And it's um, you know, he was him and the the team. Uh, we have an R and D brewer, Jesse, um, and uh, we were spending a lot of time working with different yeasts. Uh, for, for a number of reasons, uh, not to geek out too much, but, you know, how can we turn around lagers more quickly than maybe a traditional lager but still have all the great elements of a lager through it that's a bit lighter in the al- uh, alcohol, um, which is definitely part of where the world's going. And I think a lot of people are looking for um, alcohol products, but that also have a lot of flavor uh, and uh, and body to them. And and we uh, worked on this, and I, and I think it's uh, you check those boxes, and it's it's been uh, it's been doing really well for us, and and uh, to really enjoy it. When did it drop? Uh, I think we this launched it last year. Last um, year, about just over a year ago. Um, and it's uh, it's it's mostly online licensees, things like that. Um, and it uh, it definitely does well at places like golf courses and, and spots where I can you, see that uh, you might want that on a, a nice warm day. It's and, perfect uh, for yeah. it. Love yeah. it, bro. Well, yeah, thank you. Let's get that in us. Cheers, my man. Cheers. Solid, bro. Three point nine percent. It's got the okay brown rice in there, which is a really nice uh, like way to can keep a lot of flavor and keep the uh, the ABV down from uh, from what I've seen, which is very very cool. Um, yeah. Do you know what the hops are or anything like this? Oh, I should know that, shouldn't I? That's okay. Uh, hey, don't I'll, sweat it. Then. I'll, 
I'll defer to uh, uh, another day. But yeah, I mean, the, the coolest thing for us on that was we um, we tried at the time. It was a brand new yeast strain from uh, one of our yeast partners. Um, and again, again, if for those that are really into to making beer, what's interesting with this one is the turnaround time. We can, in some cases, cut the whole lagering process uh, or just the, the making of this beer down by almost half, wow. which is which you know. And again, you know, we'll talk about it later. But when you're in a brewery. Uh, speed can be important, you know, for, just from a, a running a business perspective. And if you can make a product that no one would probably ever know the difference um, and, uh, you know, that, that can have benefits. And so that was something that we've looked at and played around with and actually uh, pass that on to some of the partners we make products for as well. So they can, they can benefit from that, from that kind of learning that we've, we've figured out. That's awesome, man. The, uh, thanks. Do you know the name of the yeast or is that like a, it's, on the low thing? Uh, no, no, I, I could definitely share it with you. It, it's like a numbered, it's like a, I think it's like a letter number. One of those <laughs> ones, like the HBC hops yeah, or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Bad job on the podcast already. Hey man, so, uh, <laughs> I'm asking uh, the tough questions. No, no, that's good. But it's, um, yeah, it's, it's. Uh, I mean, it's it's freely available for them. They're looking for various yeasts, but it's, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. I know the guys love it. They, they geek out on that stuff all the time. Yeah. Very, very good. It, it turns out really great, man. There's a lot of flavor. I know it's really difficult. Like, you know, people might not always understand how difficult it is to make uh, great tasting lower ABV beers. They kind of maybe get a little, uh, don't get the respect that they're due. And for this to have this much flavor and body at 3.9 is is really, really solid, bro. It's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, again, I know, you know, we're, we're, we're definitely proud of it. And I think we also make a lot of non-out beer where we actually brew it using traditional methods. So, okay. it, you know, like a regular beer and it ferments out at around 0.3, again, using um, some special yeast and things like that. And so we, we, we learned a lot through that process because that's even more so. How do you create a non-out beer that has body and flavor and all these things? And, um, and so we, we learned a lot through trial and error, you know, temperature and time and all these things that, that can help optimize it. And we applied a lot of that to Crispy as well. So that's how you can start to get quite a bit of, yeah, like you say, for a three point nine percent beer, still have a lot of taste, um, and it's not terribly filtered. So you know, we kind of keep keep as much of that taste and, and body in there as we can. Yeah, it's like a touch opaque in there, but it's yeah. uh, got a got a really nice sort of like lemony hue to it. Very cool, bro. Love it. Which Thank also you. matches well with the uh, the can art is super is super cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you've done a great job. Is this going to be LCBO or distro or anything anytime soon? Yeah, so I, I don't want to say 100%, but we're actively talking to them right now about bringing it in. Absolutely. Perfect. Yeah. And, and um, I think it would be well. And there's not a lot on the market that are fitting into that category. Uh, on, the- on LCBO shelves, eh? Okay. Yeah. That's good. I've noticed these um, – I found that the the style was pretty popular. I remember a few years ago, maybe like 2018 in Quebec, they were talking. I feel like Quebec was like typically pretty behind as far as um, – a lot of trends or different things in beer, but I feel like they were ahead of the game with like the nano and like the really light stuff. I remember doing yeah. a podcast with one of the, the specialty beer stores out there and all of the beers they had were sub 5% and, and they yeah. were saying how popular they were and how many people were asking for them. And at first I was like, who even wants this? <coughs> Excuse me. But after the last two years where maybe people went on a little bit of a, um, what's the word? They went a little bit too hard. You know, when, when everything first closed down and you know, drinking high ABV beers and drinking all the time, I think the, the pendulum is swinging back to, you know, more, less calories, lighter ABV, so you can sort of do more over time um, and, and a ton of flavor. 
which is once again isn't super easy. So it's like starting to roll out and hit here. So it probably is a good time then if you're saying that they haven't uh, hit the LCBO yet. Uh, sorry, many beers in this category haven't hit the LCBO, which is great. For sure, yeah. You know, um, I mean, we'll talk about it in a bit, but we, we're also um, obviously Woodhouse is part of our our business, and, and they had a very successful uh, successful light beer for some time, and I think it kind of went through a bit of a wave. Um, it kind of uh, and it did very well for a time, but then it kind of tapered off a little bit. And I think there's probably many reasons. Uh, that, you know, a few years ago, to your point, styles and what people were looking for, for, for were quite different. But you know, if you look at kind of where we see the industry going with RTDs and how sours kind of came in and um, th- there seems to be a bit of a, for, for beers like lagers and stuff, the need or opportunity to go a little lighter to compete mm-hmm. um, in some of those, um, against some of those other products where people might be thinking, oh, I'll try an RTD instead because it's perceived to be a bit healthier or 4% or clearer or whatever. Um, and so um, we're seeing some of that in the market from what we hear from, from customers and what we're seeing on, on, in the data, which kind of show us that as well. So I think you're going to see a lot of kind of in that four sub five uh, come out in the next year or two. Um, again, to kind of be partly in line with trends and, and, and also to compete with, with uh, products coming on the market that, that kind of go for a similar audience in some respects. Hmm. That's a really good point. I didn't actually align the two um i know that uh seltzers and rtds and stuff are, are definitely taking a chunk of craft beers lunch uh on the market there and i didn't really look at these as being a direct competitor with that but you're 100 percent right you know the, these are probably more comparable with the calories and and uh some of the people can sit in the park you know particularly i know summer's wrapping up but the type of thing that people can sit on and just kind of sit these all day and, and have enough flavor to keep them going that's that's solid, but also it's not, they're going to get trashed and they're also not going to feel bloated and everything by the end. So that's yeah. interesting. Okay. It's going to be yeah. interesting to see how that pans out here. Hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it, it's funny. I mean, we were talking before, before we, uh, we started, you know, spending a lot of time in England, you know, beers are mostly sub five, you know, you typically go to the pub and you're, you know, you're having a four and a half, something like that. And th- that's what they're used to. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it's, you know, culturally they tend to drink a bit of beer and, uh, but they like that sub five and, and I, you know, for them, it, it just seems to work. And maybe we're seeing a little bit of that here as well, again, combined with all these other products that are kind of going after that craft market, uh, in, in some respect, um, to kind of, uh, have a level playing field where you can have, um, a bit less alcohol in your, in your products. Hmm. That's a great point as well. The non bloating probably from all the cask, which has less, uh, <laughs> less, less carbonation. Absolutely. Absolutely. Huh. Love it. Love it, bro. Um, let's get into, uh, your story. I'd love to hear how you personally got into beer and if you want to sort of like channel that into sort of how Junction came to be. Yeah. So, um, I, I guess my, my, my story and Junction kind of crossed paths, I guess about three years ago now. <clears throat> Junction has been around since, uh, 2011. So 2011. Wow. Yeah. Okay. I was wrong. And, um, so it's kind of, we're 11 years in now and, um, uh, started by three founders um, and uh, you know, they'd, <clears throat> they'd, they started in the West End of Toronto in the junction, um, actually right cl- closer to train tracks than we are now. And, um, and you know, back then the craft beer was, industry was quite small, right? And uh, I mean, I, did, I wasn't in Toronto at the time, but um, just when I come back to visit, I, you know, there wasn't a lot of craft beer uh, uh, breweries like there are today. 
And uh, they kind of got it right time, had a great product. Uh, the main product they had at the time was called Conductors Craft Ale. Fantastic product. Um, and they really made a name for themselves in the West End. You know, if you were to go down Roncesvalles and, and places like that, it Junction would kind of be be everywhere. And um, they did a great job kind of building that business. Um, and as they were growing and being profitable, um, it was still a very small space. If, uh, I think it was about a three hectoliter brewing facility. Right. Um, so very craft. Yeah. <laughs> right. And um, and doing great stuff with it. And and um, you know, I think it was around 2017. Um, the building we're in today, which had been uh, derelict since the 80s, it was actually oh. uh, a City of Toronto garbage incinerator uh, from the 1930s. So it was wow. this big deco uh, garbage incinerator built like a tank. Like we have a 12, 12 inch thick concrete ceiling, you know, brick concrete steel. The place is it's like bomb proof. <laughs> huge. And we've got half the space. We have about uh, 16, 17,000 square feet there now. Um, but it, in the 80s, they decommissioned it. Um, it was used for raves in the 90s. And, uh, and um, in 2017, a developer bought it and started to restore it. And um, uh, the founders, I guess, knew about this building, and, and it's still kind of in, in the junk, uh, junction area, more stockyards, if we get specific, kind of Keel and St. Clair area. And they um, they just kind of saw this opportunity and felt it would be a great spot for a brewery. So uh, they took, uh, um, took the plunge and took over half the space. And that took quite some time, probably a good year and a half to fit it out and so on, um, and created this beautiful space. Um, really? It's really awesome. And, um, but through that process, um, you know, it, as all home renovations do, it's kind of three times longer, three times as much money. And, uh, you know, I had to take out some loans and, and, and financially started to get a bit tough. And uh, at the same time, the craft beer industry had changed, you know, it, from when they started uh, to what it was in 20, say, 18. There was loads more breweries, lots right. of change, great stuff happening, lots of innovation, all this good stuff's happening. So they had these kind of factors of they're in a bit of a, a tough spot trying to finish off this project and raising money and all these things, um, as well as the industry was changing. And it was kind of a bit of a perfect storm that led to some financial challenges. And in um, uh, uh, so th and, and that kind of takes us to kind of 2019. My story is kind of getting involved in this. I, I'd spent most of my working life in the tech sector. Mm -hmm much of that in the UK running an international business for a Toronto tech company. Mm -hmm. So I was mostly in Europe and Asia traveling around um, and so on and uh, made our way back about four and a half years ago. And when I, I moved back um, after we'd sold the business, um, some friends of mine had started this charity called hundred guys who care, which later became hundred who care. And, and the premise was, you know, how can you get hundred people in a room every three months where people could nominate a local charity they, they're passionate about, people could kind of vote on it. And everyone threw in a hundred bucks and you would surprise the charity with 10 grand. Um, amazing kind of simple concept. And uh, they started that off raising a lot of money, uh, about 150, 160 grand, I think around that at the time uh, for local charities, which was amazing. And so I kind of got involved helping them. And as guys do chatting about how you can continue to make things bigger and better, we said, why don't we have a beer? <laughs> and, uh, and, and well, you know, we could give 5% of our sales to um, uh, charities. Uh, so simple model and because we all like beer and so we started this uh what we call caribou um, and the whole name and premise was actually uh, voted on and decided by the people that would attend those events so we gave them three names to choose from they they voted on caribou as the best name they we gave them pictures on the can they voted on the picture that you see on the can as the best picture so it's kind of a community-led um uh, idea if you will 
And it was just fun. And it was really just about making some, some beer and giving back to the community. And it was really as simple as that. Uh, I mean, there's definitely others that do that now. Um, you know, a number of beers give a percentage of profits. This was sales. So we kind of, you know, we wanted to put our money where our mouth was and just really have a bit of fun with it. You know, it's very Canadiana, <laughs> the name caring and brewing and, and, uh, it was community led. So it's kind of a fun thing. And, and, uh, it started to kind of take off. We got into the LCBO and, um, <clears throat> it, my other partners, they had, they, um, were working in, in, uh, they had jobs. And after we moved back, it was kind of figuring out what to do next. So I was kind of on it. And I never run a brewery. Um, I love beer, uh, but I hadn't run a brewery. And, and, and being a kind of a contract brewer at the time, a Junction was making our beer and uh, um, knew they were having some challenges. So we said, hey, look, you know, we, we need to scale this up. You have bands and bricks and mortar and all these things that are, are for a contract brewer would be fantastic. Uh, why don't we um, sell you Caribrew and that might help you out. And in return, it can go on to to hopefully bigger and better things. So, so that's how the, the Caribou kind of got joined up where their board said, sure, we'll bring it on. Um, and, uh, and then kind of thought that was that. And then the board asked if I could uh, come and help do a rebrand of Junction. And uh, sorry, my, my dog's panting in the background. Oh, you're right. Cutie. <laughs> and um, the, uh, so yeah, so then the board asked if I could come in and, and kind of do a rebrand of Junction because I think one of the challenges they felt at the time was the brand they started out with which was kind of that kitschy railroad uh, kind of brand, which had done very well. It was great and very, very current at the time. Um, fast forward to 2018, you know, Toronto, big city, um, you know, that railroad thing, it maybe uh, wasn't as kind of in as it, it maybe in the past. So we wanted something that was kind of more abstract and temporary, definitely more inclusive because it had kind of like kind of the guy on the can and, and uh, kind of very railroady kind of thing. So, um, we just, I said, sure, let's, let's see what we can do there. So that was kind of my uh, foray into helping Junction. So I called in some favors from the UK and we, and we really took a kind of contemporary approach at what the Junction neighborhood is on a can. And that's when you look at crispy, that's where that came from. So, you know, if you turn the can sideways and you were to kind of uh, imagine it was a black can with white writing, it's basically pulled off one of those big oil tankers. So the black mm. kind of are there with the with the text and stuff is like you get on the rail tanker and uh and the fonts are all inspired by kind of that kind of uh oil tanker if you will um and yes. so it is like let's take that concept put this abstract kind of liquid vibe behind it with very vivid colors and just make it simple you know and 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 maybe a little different than what you see in a lot of other cans and so it, and that was really it let's just have something contemporary abstract with a kind of a subtle nod to the railroad past um, of the Junction community, which we're obviously very proud to be a part of. So that's what we kind of started and went down that path there. And you'll see on the different cans, they, they, they all have kind of a, a very similar layout, but different kind of uh, coloring and so on in the background. And so it started that. And then from there, they said, actually, we need a bit of help. Can you come and help us uh, kind of restructure the business and, and get it going? Because uh, we have a big space, you know, a big space could grow a lot more. And, uh, you know, anyone who runs a brewery will tell you, you got to make sure the plant's working well. Uh, for it to be a successful business. So, so that's how I kind of got involved in, in, uh, running junction long story short. <laughs> so no, that's awesome, man. That's great. Yeah. yeah. And, that's uh, very cool. That's not what I uh, expected to be honest. I, I didn't realize that that's like a really very unique way to get involved in, in a project like this. Totally. I mean, I say accidentally, <laughs> the beer, but, but I, I say that with passion because I, I love it. I mean, even though most of my time, probably 60 plus 70% of my time at Junction has been through COVID. <laughs> <It's kind of laughs> um, we've come out the other end 
better than ever, although that was a difficult couple of years going through that process. Um, and, you know, to be in the spot we're in now, it's very exciting. Um, and, yeah. and, and I'm very kind of bullish on the whole kind of beer and beverage industry and, and kind of where we're going with that, That's um, which is, it's, it's been pretty cool for sure. I definitely want to get more into that. Um, I, I'd yeah. definitely be curious on your thoughts on that. How does it feel coming from tech and then going into maybe a significantly more casual industry like beer where the vast majority of your competitors are smaller businesses that yeah. maybe don't approach it in a way that junction is i mean obviously the scale of what you guys are you have no you know that's how the business has to operate but you know the, you know most breweries are small like where you started where junction started at that you know the, the currently people's pint brewery um yeah the yeah how, how was that for you coming from uk europe asia tech to then to this sort of like you know maybe uh what's a rough and tumble kind of industry where everyone's just you know yeah. For the long time, just flying by the seat of their pants, and maybe only over the last decade or so, did a lot of these smaller breweries start to take it very seriously? Yeah, totally. It's and it's <clears> funny <throat> too, is even the types of equipment you can buy at, at the scale of craft. You know, a lot of that stuff has only really been around for you know a few years, and it's and and it's really starting to evolve over the say the last you know five, six, seven years, where it's starting to get a bit more sophisticated. Mm. So so it's you know the industry as a whole. It hasn't been, it's not as, uh, and I, I say this not in a negative way, but uh, the level of sophistication around how the business is run from the access to equipment that a lot of these breweries can, can get through to the systems and the tools and all the, the operational aspects that in tech we spend a lot of time um, really working on and honing uh, to help us grow very, very quickly. Um, you know, a lot of that hasn't necessarily made its way into, into the craft beer um, uh, kind of industry. As well as, you know, the challenge with beer is you've got high capital expenditure, equipment costs a hell of a lot of money. You've got highly taxed, regulated, um, and you're getting pricing pressure on both ends. So, so you end up having not a lot of money uh, or that margin, which you can still be very successful in the, as a brewery, but that money you have or that pocket of money compared to other industries like tech, for example, it, it tends to be much smaller. So your ability to continually invest and grow um, on, on its own, it can be very difficult. And that's why a lot of breweries, uh, rely on a lot of investment, you know, and, uh, unfortunately why over the next year or two, we're going to see a tough, uh, time for the craft beer, uh, industry as they've come out of COVID, unfortunately, and can, and try to figure out how they evolve and, and, and grow. Um, which is, which is unfortunate, but it's, it's a reality of, of the, the, the mechanics of how these, how these businesses work. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's a good point. Have any of your skills or, or just experiences in maybe that larger kind of business world, has that been, I'm just curious because I'm a, I own a business with my partner, we own a social media agency. We've been, you know, so I'm always fascinated yeah. by the entrepreneurial side and like the business side, which I feel like doesn't really get enough, you know, light shone on it as far as the beer, you know, people just mostly care about the liquid, which is obviously the, the most of it, but, you know, yeah. when I get an opportunity to talk to someone like yourself, it's um, I, I really love it because I really value when people bring this other sort of perspective and that, that approach to beer and just really you know, beer is a business. And I think a lot of people do forget that because they just think it's all about the what's in the glass at the end of the day. But sure. did did you have any unique like maybe either from your other people at, at Junction or just you know did you were you able to come in and just be like 
why is why are you doing this like this? This is not efficient. We should do it this way. Were there any sort of things that you kind of had just picked up over the years that you were able to immediately, um, or maybe even not immediately, just over the last couple of years, even like implement that sort of made things more efficient or just improved things that that maybe someone from within the industry who just sort of only seen beer may not have been able to immediately identify um yeah absolutely you know i I think you know if when you look at a say a tech company and and we would be growing very quickly you know depending on the year somewhere between 50 60 70 percent year over year growth the only way you can do that successfully is by putting in the systems processes to to allow you to scale quickly Right. Um, and, and it's maybe not this fun, sexy part of any business <laughs> here, right? But but if, if you can do a good job at that, it can help you run the whole business better um, where where um, you don't need as much time and energy from like, you know, people running around doing stuff all the time. Uh, and, and that's not to say we, um, you know, you want to do that to let people go. It's but so you can reposition that, that time and energy on other things you can to help you grow. So you know, getting involved, yeah, that, you know, there wasn't a lot of systems other than say a finance uh, finance tool and spreadsheets um, to help run the business. So we put in a lot of new systems from everything from POS to upgrading our finance system to, um, you know, uh, systems that help us manage our LCBO and, and licensee data. Um, and, um, you know, we'll probably talk about it a bit, but our, we have a whole contract, what we call craft beverage services, which is a whole suite of services to help um, uh, beverage producers make products and take them to market. And so we're actually, you know, we're rolling out a whole kind of portal for them so they can go and manage their entire engagement with us from scheduling to products to, um, you know, putting in requests and all that stuff, which to me gets me excited because I've seen it work for many businesses where if you put in technology, it can really help you run your business better and be smarter about it and may, and use data to make, to make informed decisions. Um, and that's the same for any business. And so, you know, um, I think we're, we're trying to really find ways to innovate and do that um, in terms of in, in every aspect of our business on how we do it today and, and, and apply technology so that we can optimize and allow the team to do what they want to do, which is focus on making great quality beer, you know, focus on packaging great quality products, you know, focus on, on getting our message out and things like that. And so if we can have all the systems behind the kind of talking to each other and all joined up, that, can, that just makes us a bit better as a, as a business. That's awesome, man. I love that. I, I specific, I definitely, we're going to be talking about the contracting thing, and that's super cool. This is like, I kind of, I, I'm with you on that. I kind of get off on like, I love hearing that. If there's this whole thing like plug and play, where you yeah. know, you're you're uh, like not only helping Junction, but you're helping other business owners get started, and then the you know, it must you know, be able to see them flourish into their own brick and mortar space because that's usually the the way that it works. I love that a lot, man. And it's been cool with Junction. Of course, we just spoke about it before that you know you guys are eleven years in, and I was saying in the intro that I think I discovered it must have been around twenty fourteen or fifteen then maybe, and I remember going to the pub, and a guy couldn't understand my accent because I wanted a <laughs> flight, and I had to get my friend who was my co-host on the pod and to be my co-host for the first couple of years. And I was like, "Can can I get a flight?" And he's like, "What? Like, a flight?" And I was like, "Scott, can-? he's like a flight," and he's like, "Okay, cool." It was just so funny because I never forget that specific moment. I always, I always had that problem, but it was just uh, a very funny one because I must have yeah. been saying it pretty weird. But yeah, it was, yeah. it was a you know cute pub, nice little vibe. Um, definitely along those sort of English style beers, like you said, the Conductor Ale, which I think was the first one in cans. No, I swear I got that in bottles, in like the stubby bottles. Yeah, they they tried a lot of formats. You know, obviously from okay. growlers to 
Oh, I think it was at the 650 mil bottles. I'm trying to remember now through, yeah, we had a different bottle. They had, they had a small bottling machine mm. at the time where they were mm. trying different formats. And it's great. It worked really well for what they were doing in that space. You know, right. it was, the, um, it was, it was a, a cool space again, small brewing system and they were really pushing it and trying to uh, play around with format. But a lot of the time when they were doing that, you know, um, that, you know, that whole can, the can concept wasn't really where it is today. You know, but, no. The reasons we're so heavily 473 mil cans is the LCBO would only sell 473 mil cans. So everyone starts going all in because for them at scale and their warehouse and everything, managing cases of 24 cans in that format made sense for the LCBO. And for a lot of people, that's that's one of their livelihoods in terms of distribution. So right. you kind of fall in line with that uh, these mm. days. So, yeah. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I didn't really think of it like that. I just thought it was more of a uh, convenience thing. I, you know, like less weight on a truck, you can carry more stuff. It's a little more, you know, yeah, easier yeah. to recycle. <clears throat> blah, blah. Yeah, I mean, it, it's funny. We're we're seeing, you know, we're seeing now everyone kind of want to go to three three fifty fives. This is kind of the, the the format. Or if you're a healthier option, it's sleek cans. <laughs> sort yes. Of. So, uh, which is which is the the new craze, the new format. But I, I guess like anything, formats change as people see opportunity and how they want to brand and present their products. But the four seventy three mil, I mean, the, the the LCBO at least in Ontario has been heavily in, involved in, in kind of making that change because for them, that you know, logistically, I think that just made sense for them probably for many reasons that uh, you and I don't know. But it, you know, for them, it made sense, and um, yeah, and I think you know, for us, that's why we're we're. At least, you know, we have two formats now and now actually sleeps with the RTDs, but uh, we were only 473 mil cans because it just made sense to have one format. And if that's what the LCBO wanted, we would just stick to that format. Hmm. No, that makes complete sense. Um, but then seeing it go from that brew pub and I went, I was saying to you off uh, while we were setting up the, it must have been, when was the launch? Was it 2019 of the new facility? Yeah, the kind of official, <clears throat> the brewery had been there in that space a little bit. Yes. Um, it was kind of settled in and ready to go around that time. Yeah. It kind of ended 2018 or, and then we did the launch in 2019, kind of the, let's have a bit of a party and celebrate it. Yeah. Early 2019. I remember being cold. I remember having to run to the car and put my jacket in cause I didn't want to wear it, it inside. Well, I, I mean, I was there, but I, I'm trying to think I kind of officially got involved in the summer of 2019. So maybe I was there really? helping them out. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, it was the end of the year then. Could have been. It was just like, it's such a, the way you described it was right. It's just like, it's such like a, it's like a wedding venue type of, you know, beautiful brick, you know, whatever. I don't even know how many feet ceiling. Was that 50 foot ceilings or something? I think we're about, no, it's, it's, it's about 25, 26 feet, oh, I think. I kind of yeah, yeah. have no idea. Either way, it's, nope. it just feels so grand. Like yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was just like, you know, the, it was cool because you had this, um, the bar is like great right at the front next to like the retail store was dope. And just the, yeah. um, the way to be honest, I've only been there during events, if I'm not mistaken. Um, mm -hmm. so I don't know if I've seen it normal, but the way that the, that sort of main area, I guess, I don't know if it's an event space, but just they had like all these like tables for people and cool food vendors and stuff like that. Um, it was just like, it's such a vibe in there. It's like a really, really cool place. I don't know if, is that spe specific space? Like when you kind of go behind the bar, is that a, and there wasn't, at least at the time I went, cause I, I haven't really been back again since, since 2019, I guess the, is there fermenters and stuff there now? Cause to me, it sort of looked like it was like, that was the space to grow. And it was kind of just being 
the space was being utilized in the meantime. Yeah, yeah for sure. You know, we, um, uh, the, yeah, the space has evolved in the last uh, couple of years quite significantly yeah, as we've grown. I think, yeah, you know, that we were quite event heavy when we opened because there was a lot of empty space and we could do these lovely weddings. And for people that wanted to get married in a brewery, it was perfect. You could have 150 seated uh, weddings surrounded by fermenters and shiny steel, which and it looked lovely, right? And it's, yeah. uh, and people had, uh, I hope, great, great events there. I'm going to have to let my dog out soon. <laughs> That's okay. I just got a pop. Uh, I completely understand. Yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, but yeah, so, you know, as we grew and put in more fermenters, that, that became obviously harder to do. So uh, we now kind of focus our events in our taproom space, which is still, which is still big. We can have about 80 or so people, um, no problem. we got a patio that can have another 80 people outside. Amazing. Um, we can still do lovely events, uh, but they tend to be either smaller seated or more casual. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of, that's evolved, I guess, post-COVID um, as we've kind of grown and focused on the plant. Um, because obviously COVID took away our events business and dapper business and all these things. So, uh, we've had to evolve and grow, um, as, as the times of, of, uh, um, allowed us to, uh, but yeah, it's still a great space for events, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's now our back brewery is now full of lots and lots of fermenters. And, uh, we've, 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 uh, what doubled our output in the last 18 months and we'll probably double it again in the next year or so. Jeez. Yeah, man, that's amazing. I'll, feel yeah. free to take take the take. Yeah, I'm just gonna let him out so he's uh, do it up. No worries. Yeah, it's a, it's such a it's such a beautiful space. Like the um, I don't know why I was just if you see me uh, sweating, guys. There's like there's a fly down here, and I don't know why there's a fly in the damn basement. Um, yeah, it's it's just like a really really cool space. Um, the event that I went to just had like all these like cool like it was like the beers were paired with different food. It was just like it was a really impressive way to see the space. So I was always, and because I had had, had uh, a bunch of the beers earlier on when I was sort of discovering craft beer in Ontario, um, and to be fair as well, like you said, like the old branding and the the styles were very much in line with what was happening in Ontario in 2011 because that's when I got into it. Um, yeah, it, it, it was exactly what you were seeing everywhere, like all the different breweries, like Nickelbrook, Trafalgar, Bose, like Wellington, all, were all doing very similar stuff, and there wasn't that many competitors. The scene was very small, so. Seeing Absolutely. that change and grow into yeah. what it is now was uh, was very impressive, and including the the rebrand, um, which I think maybe that was the event I went to. Maybe it was like a rebrand event or something. Yeah, it was. It was like a rebrand mm-hmm. slash like uh, event in the new space. It was kind of I, I, we hadn't had a chance because of everything going on uh, with them trying to get it up and running, and it just made sense at the time to be kind of like, hey, let's just have. A lot to talk about. Let's try and get some people out, get some excitement going, and uh, and, and and just celebrate, you know, uh, the space mm. and where we were going as a as a as a business at the time. Yeah, uh, you know, had we known COVID was coming, but yeah, it was <laughs> it was, uh, but yeah, it was it was great, and um, we're very fortunate. I I I, uh, I mean, there's obviously loads of awesome um, breweries and amazing spaces um, in Toronto and, and Ontario, um, but we're I think we're very fortunate with ours. It's it's pretty awesome. It's you know, very lofty and, uh, and just, just a great space to, to kind of take in some history in Toronto and, and a great uh, brewing facility. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And it's, it's, it's a perfect spot when, you know, people like to like breweries almost do better when they're surrounded by other breweries. And it's like, there's a couple of breweries around the corner from you guys. So it's like the perfect place for like a crawl. Um, yeah. which is something I really appreciate. It's, uh, you know, if, if you're going to, particularly if you don't live near there and you're going to make the trek out, well, you know, 
you've got a whole afternoon, evening, you know, that you're able to spend at, at a few places and really kind of soak up a, a, a part of uh, Toronto Brewing. It's very, very cool. Yeah, we, we, we've unofficially called it the, the Ale Yards. Um, the Ale after, Yards. Like you know, the Stockyards area. <clears throat> and we have Reinhardt and Shacklands and two great breweries in their own right. And um, yeah, they're awesome. It's nice having them as neighbors. <clears throat> For sure, it's great. Love it. Um, how do you feel about the next one, bro? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Um, dealer's choice, my friend. What do you, uh, what do you feel oh. like? Well, <clears throat> uh, why don't we, uh, do you want to go back and forth or do you want to kind of go, uh, maybe the Pilsner is a bit more alcohol and then we go into something hoppy or what do you, what do you yeah, think? I'm totally comfortable with that. The junction pills. Yeah. I'm totally down. I love a good crispy boy. So this bad boy right here, kind of, uh, Almost like the opposite of what you're talking about with the white writing on a black can. This is like the black writing on kind of like that sort of light gray can, but it's got, I just noticed here, there's like a, some real like gray text in the background that really does give you that, um, train, what did you, what is it? What did you call it? Like the train car vibe? Oh, like those black oil tankers. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, yeah. 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 I'm really inspired by that. There's a story on that one. We're, at, we're actually making. We're actually uh, uh, within a month. You'll have like a new Pilsner one, which is a lot more colorful. Okay. I am partial. The uh, to be completely transparent, we had like let's have a core lineup, which is kind of more gray and monochrome, with the okay. idea that a lot of cans on the shelf are just so much color, and it's great and it's awesome. But how do you kind of cut through that noise? And and um, chatting to some designer guys, we're like, well, why don't we just try it and kind of go more kind of monochrome? And so you have the Pilsner, and we got a hazy IPA, which is like a darker gray, almost like a and then we have the stout, which is black. So you kind of had those, those kind of three cans, mm, um, and the idea is they be very kind of uh, angular in, in their shapes and forms on the can. And then we'd have these seasonals or, or uh, things like crispy that are very colorful. Uh, hands up on that! I think it's a great idea. It photographs great. <laughs> I think people like colors, so we're going to do a color, a nice, bright, colorful version. And I'll, I'll happily say that. Hands up on that! But um, that was our kind of thing to try and see how it works. And uh, and some people love it and they get it, and uh, and other people are like, well, it'd, be, it'd be fun to have a lot more colors. So we're we're, we're going to play around with that. We got some really, I think, cool stuff coming that's using special inks and things like that, and that'll be out in probably about uh, hopefully. Six to eight weeks. Well, that's cool. And it looks like you're doing the printed cans too, eh? Um, yeah. Well, we try to. Some are printed, uh, if not sleeves. And then we've been playing around with a great partner, um, actually, out of Quebec, that does digital printed cans. Hot print. That's right. Yes. And, uh, you know, it, it's great because I think it's no minimum. So for those that don't have a large, large volume of, of cans, um, they can still do printed cans and uh, get kind of some of those same benefits. And it, it, it can they can do some really neat stuff with it. It's great. Yeah, there. Uh, we had we did like a, a little video um, just before we we moved, and it was fascinating. Like you really wouldn't think how fascinating the can and digital printing industry is. It's, it was. Uh, yeah. I was very surprised, and they were sort of aggressively moving into Ontario, um, which was super smart because there's nobody. I think they said they're the only digital printing facility in. I want to say North America or Canada or something is pretty crazy that it didn't exist. Yeah. They, I think they've got there's some fancy European machine that's, yeah. that's great stuff. And <clears throat> yeah, they, they've been lovely to work for. And you're right. I think they've, they've been having a lot of success coming into Ontario. We have a, we have a number of partners that we, we make products for that uh, has been using them well. too. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. great. That's very, yeah. very cool. Um, yeah. Love to see it. 
this one, so this is 4.6, so it's a little bit of a boost. This is more of a traditional German Pils. No yep. hops. Yeah. Looks little, like it looks definitely a little, um, what's the word? Darker, maybe? Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this one is, I guess, made more in a traditional sense. Crispy, we, we really tried to play around with how do you kind of, without, without, not, without taking away that, um, the good bits of having a, a, a lager, how can you speed up the time and do something a little low alk and all that? This is more of a traditional Pilsner. We, uh, we're, we're pretty fortunate in the brewery that we actually have a cellar with these 10 horizontal lagering tanks. Um, so we can actually lager horizontally, um, uh, which is a very kind of you know, traditional method of doing that. I don't think there's a lot of breweries that have these kind of horizontal tanks in, in, uh, in this part of the world. No, it could be real far between. I, don't see it very and, often at all. Yeah, so so we kind of take that. It's kind of like how you do a modern take on on that kind of more traditional pilsner. I know Andrew when he was thinking, you know, we, we don't you know make sure that there's the right level of bitterness, and and he takes a lot of time on his craft of, of what this recipe was was like. And yeah, we're we're very proud of the pilsner. We always get fantastic reviews. So <laughs> for what it's worth, it. um, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it's great. We're very proud of that one. Hell yeah! All right, brother. Cheers. Okay, so it's definitely a lot different to the Chris. I do like having yeah. them back to back, yeah, um, which is great. So it's definitely like um, it's you can tell it's bigger. It's a bigger beer, absolutely, um, but still super smooth, crisp. I'm getting um, like that grassy, like peppery sars. Like if it's noble hops, I imagine it's probably sars and maybe some other stuff. Yeah, um, in there that work well, nice and bready, bitter, balanced. Smooth. Yep. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got the main ones in there. It's great. Right. Lots, <laughs> lots of one-word dis uh, descriptions here for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. This, this is dope, man. This is solid. I, I'm surprised I haven't had this before. I really thought I would have had this. Yeah, is this thank a, you. a newer beer? Is it, or is it like the uh, rebrand? I would say the, the recipe's evolved, like any beer. I think, okay. you know, it evolved over time. Uh, it, um, you know, uh, it is at the LCBO, and uh, you know, you know we, again, we'll probably one of the many things to talk about as we kind of went through COVID and, and uh, restructured the company. You know, the Junction brand uh, was really kind of uh, uh, kind of running on a on a kind of a, a smaller budget per se. But now that now it's ramping back up, and you, you'll see it uh, in lots and lots of spots over the coming months. But mm -hmm. it's uh, but yeah, you know, it's it's uh, I, I definitely say it's one of our for me, it's one of our our top beers and something. We, I know the team takes very seriously, again, you know, you say coming from tech, what's one of the, you know, I think hopefully I brought some things that from my learnings around process and all these kind of operational things that, that I, I get, a, I can geek out on. But um, one of the things I learned coming into the beer space that is, I guess, obvious, but you don't think about it is that, you know, uh, what they taught me pretty quick was, is, you know, when you, when you look at a brewery, you can tell, you can try to tell if, uh, how good they are by, by drinking their lagers or their mm -hmm. Yes. Because it's it's counterintuitive. A lot of people, you know, lager is typically the, the cheaper beer. Uh, you don't think much of it, right? Especially in the mainstream market. And, uh, um, and but, you know, you're, you can't hide behind anything. you got your four ingredients. It takes a lot longer to make typically. Um, and, uh, you know, mistakes can be seen. And so, you know, I know that you know, the team takes that seriously in making sure we can try and create great lagers and pilsners. Um, and that kind of craft around it, which I, I really appreciate. And, uh, and it's great to, to learn from them and watch them do that, which is pretty cool. Um, it's not to say that IPAs are bad or, or whatever, but 
when you're when some of these you're, you're putting lots of things in it, it can mask or or kind of maybe hide imperfections. Let's not say they're bad beers, but it can hide some of those imperfections which you can't necessarily hide behind with with just straight lagers and pilsners. One hundred percent. When I got into the beer space, yeah, man, that's uh, that's a really great point, and it's something that I feel like you you. Sort of when you get in, well, I don't, know, I don't know if it works like this way with the newer beer drinkers, but when probably people like us got into it, you come in from the different lagers, from macro lagers, you discover maybe Euro and then local craft lagers, and then you kind of move yeah. amber and browns and porters and blah, blah, blah. And you go through the Belgians and that whole sort of rainbow of beers that maybe people skip these days and they go straight to yeah. haze or whatever. And yeah. um, then you kind of come back around. And yeah. now if I go into a brewery, the very first thing I'm like, what's, what's the crispy boy? What, what are you guys saying with that? And it's the yeah. first thing because you're exactly right. You can judge a brewery sort of overall quality by how well their lager is or how, how well made the lager is, but also maybe not always because sometimes they might specialize in something else and they're kind of like just dabbling in the, the crispy world because it's become strangely, as you probably know, like a part of the, what's the, how do you describe it? Uh, sort of a part of the the hype world. So like the breweries that do New England IPAs and are, are known for that, uh, the breweries that do like smoothies yeah. and pastry stouts and everything are getting into lagers. It's like their other – it's sort of if you go into one of those breweries, you're going to see Krispies, Hayes, pastries, and, and smoothies or something like that. So yeah. it's sort of become – yeah, it's kind of worked its way into that world. It's like – and I don't know. I always thought it was just because it was a brewer's beer. That's the beer the brewers wanted to drink because after 10 hours of being up at 6 in the morning and sweating and lifting heavy stuff, you don't yeah. want an 8% double IPA. You want a 4.5% you know, Pilsner. So sure. then they make it. Then there was this renaissance. I don't know if you noticed this because around the time you got into beer, it was happening. There was like this – I think the Czech um, government did these sponsored trips to send brewers on head brewers, mostly or owners over. And I noticed it a lot in Ontario and Quebec and they sent over and they did these like pilgrimage uh, yes. in 2018, 2019. Then you came back in the last couple of years, it's just been like insane level, um, very high quality Czech style Pilsners all yeah. across both provinces, which has yeah. been, so if you are getting into lagers, like you were saying, you can't hide anything, but now that these people who are doing triple decoction and taking it really, really seriously, it's like this whole, like, sub nerdy version of uh of pills is that to trying to get as traditional as possible so i think that's a very cool thing as well so love yeah, to see it totally i agree actually we, we have a a product a dark lager i don't know if you have that one there and and we kind of managed to get some czech uh, ingredients and kind of model our version off in the uh, czech republic where they only make one style of dark lager this is our take on it. I know what you're talking about. Someone mentioned them to me like three days ago. Um, this Ufleku. Yes, that's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so this is our I love them. They're the best. Yes, this is our take, and I and I think the team did an awesome job on it. And I love the story. It's like we managed to get similar ingredients, come up with our own recipe inspired by this bird that's been around countless hundreds of years and just done one beer. You know, like that's so cool. It's you so know? cool, man. And dark lagers, I think, are like one of the best. They're they're so underrated. Yeah. Um, as far as like, they're just like, oh, man, whenever I see a black lager or Schwartz beer or anything like that, I grab it always. I love them so much. They're uh, fascinating. So it's just really cool to see. And you guys are doing a lot of this at scale, right? So I think it's even cooler that you guys are doing this with that level of um, dedication. Like, you know, I, I know Andrew, I know his missus and Marissa I spoke to her the other day. Um, known him for years and years. 
Um, not not super well, but you know, throughout yeah. the scene, she saw the box that was sending, and she sent me a picture like two days ago. I was like, hey, and I was like, yeah, I'm having Stuart on. We're, we're having a chat. Um, well, that's awesome. So I like hearing that. I know that Andrew takes his stuff seriously, and um, uh, I like to see that you got because you guys are. You know, as mentioned before, the um, maybe light light or lagers in general maybe don't get the respect they do as far as no. So light lagers, I was saying that about because. Yeah. You know, maybe it's not exciting, but it is really hard to make well. Um, sure. I think also the other type of uh, the other main thing in craft beer that doesn't get the respect that it's deserved is uh, uh, breweries that are arguably gateway to new drinkers or mm-hmm. potentially macro drinkers to lead them into because you guys are a welcoming space. Uh, you have um, a lot of easy drinking stuff that's very approachable as opposed to things that are kind of like. Correct me if I'm wrong here. This is my take on sort of what I've seen for Junction. Um, yeah. Rather than, you know, I feel like you could, I could go there. I would be, as a beer nerd, be completely satiated with everything I would drink. But I could bring my friend who just drinks Canadian along and they would have a fantastic time because they'd be like, oh, what's this? Oh, okay, cool. Here's the stuff that's similar. Oh, I like this. Okay, cool. Well, why don't you try this? And then all of a sudden they're digging into craft beer and they're now piqued their interest. Um, sure. So to see... I'd love to hear your take if you think that that's an accurate thing, just because of the scale that you guys are doing it um, at. That is under undervalued because if that didn't exist, then the craft breweries don't exist. Someone has to bring them in. And a lot of craft breweries are preaching to the choir as such, which is fine, which is totally cool. It's not Absolutely. growing the, the, the situation. So I think the gateway breweries are growing it, and then those individuals start to go on their little journey and learn more about yeah. BM. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean – approachable. I mean, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't think anything you said there was, was, was inaccurate at all. Like, you know, like, um, we, we, you know, if we go to our tap room, we have a whole R and D program. So we'll always put different things on there. Like we've got a bunch of smoked beers coming out and things like that, where, you know, we might not be the, the brewery where we're going out there and doing crazy things. Not that we can, but there's probably people that might do better at that. Right. And where I think we can do a great job is, what are, what, you know, how do we take, what, what's a modern take on classics or where we can innovate around uh, more traditional things like lagers and what, what are all the things you could do around that? Or you know, as well as IPAs and things, you know, um, it's not just lagers, but um, we're, you know, I always use this example, I don't know why, but it's not like we're going to be the ones putting, say, peanut butter or something in. There's people that probably do better than that and still make it a great beer. Um, but for us, it's, you know, how do we just take either modern takes on, the, on classics or kind of innovate around those with the idea that, you know, if we can kind of obsess over the quality bits, uh, we can just make great beers that you can have a few of um, and, and just, and just have something that's really enjoyable. Um, you know, it might, it might not get the uh, the headlines as the fanciest beer, but we know they're great, you know, and, and we're very proud of them and we think that people can enjoy them. And that's what we're trying to do. Um, and just listen to our customers and, and learn from what they like and don't like as well. Um, and, uh, and, and to your point too, we're, we're, we're a bigger craft brewery. So we also have to think of how do we do that kind of, uh, at scale. We have to make sure we can reach the customers to keep the, the, you know, the wheels turning as, as, as you will. Yeah. Very, very key, man. I love that. I love the fact that it's even, you know, that you're aware of that as well. Speaking of all of that stuff, I was thinking, so to, to sort of maybe paint the picture of maybe the breadth of what you're doing now, I yeah. imagine there's people here who've been drinking Junction for 10 years uh, I'm familiar with a lot of the the beers, and um, you know, but it's going to be people who maybe you're just hearing about you now. So, yeah. as far as the Junction brand, and then we can maybe 
touch on some of the other stuff um, that you're doing, whether it's uh, including, you know, Woodhouse and some of the, the breweries that uh, you're working with as far as the, you know, you're brewing their stuff for them. Um, yeah. yeah. Maybe just talk us through generally the, the general portfolio. Yeah, I mean, I know this is probably quite vast and you don't have to mention everything off the top of your head, but just sort of give paint a bit of the picture so people understand what it is that Junction does um, sure. currently. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and maybe just quickly how we got into that. So, yeah. you know, and you asked again before, like some of my experiences, um, you know, maybe looking at it with, with a different set of eyes is when I got involved and, you know, you're in a situation where you've got a brewery that has a great equipment, very skilled team, making really good quality products. Um, but it got some financial challenges and we're trying to figure that out. Um, and then COVID hits, you know, and, uh, you know, we always talk, it was like, March 18th, 2020, COVID, everything shut down. Yeah. You know, we moved on like next day. We were all like, you know, six people a day going out doing deliveries and, you know, kind of figured all that out. We had to kind of really figure out what's our future. You know, like if, if, if a brewery went into COVID with an arm tied behind its back, um, you're kind of in trouble. You know, yes, there was subsidies and things like that, but it was going to be tough. And, and um, you know, uh, even speaking to other breweries that were in similar situations, you know, it wasn't a nice time and it was obviously – when, when we shut down initially, um, I, I think a few of us, probably myself included, would be like, ah, oh, it'll be for a few weeks or a month. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be fine. We'll figure it out. Um, yeah, exactly. So, you know, we kind of went into it with, with, with an arm tied behind our back as we were trying to, to fix the, the, the business financially. And through that time, it was like, okay, we're in this situation where we essentially become an online business, uh, which was doing great. Um, but we just didn't know what the future was going to be. And at that time it was, we didn't know. And we had to figure out how we grew quickly, even through quote, uh, COVID, because as we were trying to restructure and fix some of these past financial woes, we had to, the goal was to try and grow our way out of it, right. Mm. Uh, through COVID very difficult. So, um, what we were trying to figure out is what, well, what do we do? So, um, we obviously we would focus on our brand and, and sell that online and, and, and that was working okay. But at the same time, we'd been playing around and working with some partners of making other products for them. And um, just from my background, kind of in that tech world and B2B world and all these things you don't necessarily talk a lot about in, in craft beer, when you looked at our equipment and what we were capable of, um, you know, was there something there where we could, we could build this kind of uh, business or this, this revenue channel around helping others take their products to market as well? Mm -hmm. uh, and that's I mean, not like we're the first to do this. There's some, there's other companies out there that do this very well at much, much higher scales. You know, like their, their, their facilities are much, much bigger than ours, you know, and they make all sorts of high volume stuff. Mm -hmm. And so the idea was, could we do this at the small to mid market where and what we mean by that is like the smaller side where we can scale it and still make uh, money by helping these guys bring their products to market, but at a, at a kind of a smaller scale. So we, started to kind of invest in that and look for opportunities. And that just, we kind of hit, hit an opportunity and it just kind of exploded. And we, we, uh, we actually had to be turning uh, people away because we found there was a need for uh, that size of business that needed product where hmm. be it a pub that had a high volume skew in the LCBO where they needed canned product, be it a contract brewer that was just starting up, whether they had ambitions to have their own brewery or just wanted to be a brand, um, you know, they needed a production phys facility and they didn't necessarily want to be, uh, you know, doing that kind of thing. Um, and then, you know, so, so we started to learn and, and kind of grow and, and kind of quickly got customers on that side. And that actually became our quickest growing channel. Hmm. And then last year, which was the weirdest thing is we were having our best year ever financially. 
which meant that we didn't get any of the, those COVID subsidies stopped, which again, going into something when we're in trouble, it was kind of a double whammy. And, and, um, but we were still kind of growing. And then as we came out of COVID, uh, the financial troubles kind of caught up with us. So mm. we had to take this kind of really, you know, difficult but necessary decision to do a formal restructuring, get the business, you know, all cleaned up. And, and basically, so that took us to January 1, where we were basically in our best financial health um, and, uh, and a growing business. So we kind of came out of that in a very good spot. You know, not sexy or fun, but just necessary in the business world to make sure that we're around for a long, long time to come and, and that, you know, we can continue to invest in our customers and our team and all these kinds of things. So, so from that point on, uh, you know, the board to me, our new board was like, okay, we have to grow very quickly and how do we do that? And so, um, we, we started to kind of think, okay, well, when we look at all the customers and what we're doing, we've evolved from just being a brewery, even though we're using the same equipment, you know, we have a pasteurizer that can pasteurize root beers, but it also does, cold brew coffee or sparkling waters or non-out products and <clears throat> or we have all the equipment uh to do you know rtds and all these other products so we we started doing that for customers so we kind of as of january one when we finished our restructuring it was like okay we're kind of a beverage business now uh, and so we kind of um we, we we started to work along that path because although beer is is our is our uh, is kind of that's where we came from that's kind of, that's what we're about. We're always going to be a brewery. We're still doing these other things. Uh, and so the first thing we do is, did as we started to grow is um, coming out of that uh, restructuring, uh, we'd met Graham uh, Woodhouse, um, who was looking for his next move and, and how does he take his business to the next step. And so we decided, uh, it, the, you know, stars aligned and we acquired Woodhouse. And then we kind of rebranded as this Junction Craft Beverage Co., which essentially is kind of a corporate entity that has multi-brands, so Junction Craft Brewery, Woodhouse, uh, we have the Caribou piece, and then we have what we call craft beverage services, which um, basically helps create products for over 30 partners now, again, from everything from beer to non-alcoholic beer to RTDs and non-alcoholic products where it could be like sparkling water, where we, walk, we work with some great uh, kind of craft brands in that space as well, which are doing really cool flavor profiles and stuff. And so, and, and so we've evolved very quickly in the last year where... Um, Again, through the learnings of making our own beer, we've really started to kind of gain a lot of experience around how do we create amazing non-alcoholic beer? How do we create processes around doing non-alcoholic uh, beverages? And then also creating a we have like an R&D uh, kind of, I'll say division, it's really Jesse, <laughs> our R&D brewer. But how do we create services around that so that we're not just a, a, a factory that makes stuff? We have services, like we can help you do your development. We can help you with the logistics. We can help you with uh, distribution where we've got a bodega and our partners can sell their products. We offer, you know, same day delivery in Toronto and things like that. So we've kind of started to build out this. I'd like to think of it as a community. I hope our partners do where it's kind of, how do we celebrate all things craft? Cause one of the things we're seeing is, is that what craft beer has been really great at is not only creating great products that, you know, people like you and I love to consume, but they created great experiences right um, around the brand and there's been a lot of innovation and creative ideas around that and what what we're seeing uh, or what I believe as well is that, that the consumer is starting to look for those same experiences and everything else they drink so as they might say oh I want a healthier product to drink like a, whether true or not an RTD or a non-out beer or just sparkling water where it's like buble became the cool product nothing wrong with it <laughs> um, but now you're seeing these kind of craft experiences these craft versions of that startup and i think that's pretty exciting because 
for the end consumer, they can still go to a cool shop that they like to go to and find these cool brand experiences that are just the same kind of thing that they found in say craft beer. And so we're seeing that across the board through non-alc to beer and then and uh, kind of happen now and bubble up. And, and um, we think there's an opportunity for us to be positioned there where we can really help these startup brands or, or brands that might be already going where we can help them kind of scale up and take those products to market through our experience of what we've learned through all, you know, over the last couple of years. And so that's, so that, that's what we call this kind of craft beverage services or this partner channel where we've, We've invested a lot in kind of the tools and things to help make that make that work well. So, so again, we've really evolved, kind of long story short, into a beverage business where we've got our own brands, which are beer focused um, uh, mostly, and then we've got our partner uh, channel, which is helping these other people bring products to market. And, and something I get very passionate about because I love working with others and helping see their businesses grow um, and learning from them on how we can help them better grow their businesses. Because after all, I mean. Beer to craft beer is it's a community, and um, if we can kind of take that up at a scale, so to speak, then that's I think that's pretty cool. Amen, man. That's awesome. I love that. The we, I know we're going to get into Woodhouse when we when we get into to one of their beers. Um, yeah. The portfolio for like you said, I mean, I know you got the RTDs, which we're also going to get into, but. Yeah. Would you say that, say, what, you know, Woodhouse was sort of had an established, I've known Graham for a while too, and, and to see him uh, sort of, you know, he started off with a couple of beers and then sort of grew it out slowly yeah. into these really like, you know, just simple, straight up type of uh, products, at least in his branding as well. And and with uh, Caribou and with uh, what Junction's doing, like, does it all kind of, um, does it, I guess it gives you a portfolio kind of that like breadth as far as like basically there's almost nothing that you don't, do between everything for the most part is is that was that part of the inspiration for say acquiring something like Woodhouse because you know he's got a pretty deep portfolio as well on that. Sure, yeah, you know, I mean, look, Graham Graham built a very successful business and he, he, he's awesome. He's a great salesperson. He understands the beer world very very well, um, and he created he created he created a great business. Um, you know, they were one of the largest contract brewers in in the province. And I, and, uh, you know, for us, you know, the stars aligned, like I think for, for, for them as a contract brewer, like you get to a certain point, you know, by adding bricks and mortar, it gives you access to channels like online and direct to consumer, um, having a facility, what can we do from an R and D and, and, and a kind of a product perspective to get products out. And, you know, again, fully transparent, there, there's a, there's a benefit on the bottom line when you go from contract to being bricks and mortar. So mm-hmm. There, there's just a lot of benefits for the, for us to kind of come together uh, because we both had something to bring to that to that um, uh, relationship, um, and that that's what drove that. You know, where do we go? We, you know, uh, you know, who, who knows? Will we will we look to acquire other businesses? Yeah, probably. Will they be complementary? Will it be just another brewery? Maybe, maybe not. It could be complementary to to where we think the world's going. Absolutely, uh, but I also think we'll invest more in our in our partner channel and really again build that community of how do we work with brands we think are doing great stuff that we want to work with and be a part of their growth in, in one one form or another. So I, I, I guess we would be a kind of a portfolio in in in, in certain respects, um, but we really just want to celebrate craft and all the cool things going on around it, and we will focus on the things we think we could do well. In terms of how we think we could create a product and take it to market, we're not great at everything, obviously. Um, and we'll work with others that are doing their own thing that's great, where we can just help them take those products to market through kind of more of the the back end services, be it production or 
or distribution and things like that. So, so yeah, you know, we've got, again, in the craft beer space, cause we have kind of a bigger facility, um, you know, we, we kind of want to build this house of craft, if you will. And I think if it falls in line with that, where we can work with others or ourselves to innovate and just do fun things, um, that's kind of what gets us excited every day and gets us up to go to work, if that makes sense. Yeah, man, definitely. No, I love that. The You mentioned before when you were talking about the partners that you know run through the craft beverage services. The, yeah. And I remember, um, I'm not sure if they were still with you, but True History, I think, were uh, working with you guys. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, I remember touching them. They they had some good distro early on, and I connected yeah. with them. The you mentioned so if if a brewery does work with you guys, do they yeah. always can they kind of choose which services or like say automatically do you are you able because you brew it there you're able to at the very least sell their stuff uh, in your store on premise. So it gives them an automatic channel of distribution, even if they have, before they've even landed in LCBO, if they don't yeah. take you up on the distribution side of things, at the very yeah. least, it's going to be in your physical store, and therefore it could be in your online store. Oh, 100%. I mean, that was the whole point of it. Where, you know, We have a full license where we can sell alcohol out of our front kind of tap room. And so the idea was... Um, you know, we're, we're making these products for our partners. Why not give them an, op- why not give them an opportunity to sell it, you know, uh, out of our space and online. Um, so you could go online now and buy our partner products that, that want to be on there. It's not mandatory at all. If we just want us to make their product great. Um, but it's there. And, um, you know, for those that want to leverage it, it's fantastic. And you can go on there online, buy it. It's free delivery. We'll manage it all for them. And, and we just did it really as a value add because, you know, when you're starting up or you're trying to do things, just having some product there, if you can sell a few cases every few weeks or whatever, why not? Right. Yeah. Get your product out there and, uh, um, and it just, just helps them grow. I mean, it obviously it's the more they put into it, the better it will go. You know, they've got to help promote their products on there as well. But, but, um, but yeah, that was the basis behind it. And, uh, and there's, there's some on there doing a fantastic job. You know, I, we work with one one of our partners, uh, Wild Up. It's the uh, they make mead. Used to be Royal Canadian Mead. Um, oh and no way! Okay, I yeah. they rebranded. Okay, yeah, yeah. So they're called Wilder now. Hope I'm getting that right. And and they've kind of rebranded as, as Spritzers, and they're they're very smart. They've really got their brand down. It looks fantastic. Um, and um, we've we've been helping them out, and they're lovely people. Um, really expanding this idea of what mead is, and from a contemporary sense, they've come up with some amazing products um, that we've helped them with, and. Um, yeah, they're doing really, really well and, um, and they sell on there and they do a fantastic job selling stuff through the, um, the online shop. And we're really, we're really proud and, and happy to support them. Um, you know, they're lovely people trying to do something interesting and it's great. It really aligns with where we kind of see the world going. That's sick, man. Are you, uh, like, you don't have to, but I'm curious, is there any other brands you could shout out that you have been working with, um, on that side for, cause I think yeah. that's like to I don't know if they want to tell. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's that's completely okay. Because what I was going to caveat was going to be, I don't know if you remember, because I feel like maybe when you got involved with Junction, oh, I might have been around. There was this kind of like pretty ridiculous bias, I guess, towards <laughs> co- and people just shitting on contract breweries. I guess you laughing because maybe you're familiar with what I'm talking about. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Uh, it drives yeah. me crazy because I have a lot of good friends. Uh, you know, Lost Craft, uh, Shahan's one of my good friends. And he had, has a fantastic business. He has brick and mortar now as well, but he still contracts his major you know, brands because his facility could not pump out what he needs. Yep. Um, he copped it so hard from 
Ontario. I feel like it was like an Ontario thing. I feel like Quebec had a little bit of a bias, but I feel like Ontario were just like ridiculous to the point where the OCB were making rules that were proactively negative um, towards contract brewers. So yes. I, I know that some brewers might not want even sort of that to be out there because of that ridiculous bias, which I was hoping had uh, – I hadn't heard about it for a while. No one talks about it. Everyone's just mad about smoothie sailors now. So I thought they might have been not you know I'm not sure if they were mad about that anymore. It yeah, was just yeah, like yeah. it's just such a dumb thing. I just it, to me it just shows like that lack of understanding of just or, or forgetting that beer is a business and that it has to start somewhere. Not everybody can come in and, and uh, get a loan of one to two million dollars to create the facility that they need to. So um, yeah, yeah. Like I imagine this like yeah you don't have to answer that but yeah that was i'll I'll answer it wholeheartedly i've got pretty strong opinions on this i you know for my brief time as a contract brewer um you know not having the same access to market as a bricks and mortar brewer for really no reason uh baffled me you know um yeah to be completely frank i see more i see interesting innovative brands and ideas coming from a lot of these contract people be it their entrepreneurs, marketers, business people that see an opportunity and they're coming up with great ideas. Um, and I think for the consumer, that's awesome. You know, why would we frown on that? I, mm. To your point, there's still a bias there, you know, on the, the provincial election that just finished. When was that, go, when was that now? Uh, oh, that was. It was like uh, earlier in the year, if I'm not mistaken. Time flies. Right. Um, there was, uh, I, I, you know, again, I, I got an email from literally unknown source, generic email, saying that, hey, this would be interesting. And it had um, some documents from an association that was basically asking them to lobby their, their government or the, their MPs um, to basically go against uh, contract brewers because they were marketers, not breweries, and they shouldn't have access to the same things. And, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty crazy. And, um, wow. and, and, you know, I, uh, you know, it, I'll say this. We've worked with a lot of contract brewers um, over the last, you know, 18 months, 24 months. They're great people with great ideas. And a lot of them have aspirations to open their own breweries. And this is a gateway to help them get there in the sense that they can build a brand. They can learn who their customer is. They can learn about what they want to do with their products and work their way towards having a brewery. Yeah. And to me, that makes a lot of sense. And for those that don't want to have aspirations to be a brewery, that's great too. Just if they're creating products that customers love, is that a bad thing? I don't think so. If anything, it makes us all get pull up our, our boots a bit more and say, okay, well, what are they doing? What's going on in the world? We have to continue to innovate or improve what we're doing to compete. And that's not a bad thing either. You know, I think there's, I guess from some conversations I've had, there's people out there in the world that in this part of the world that seem to think that the way that the, the Ontario market should be is, you know, hundreds of brew pubs, just servicing the local community. So they, you know, they, you know, and you can have a very successful brew pub, especially if you've got a food offering and, 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 and do that. But you know, you only sell into your local LCBOs. You only sell very local distribution and that allows you to have lots of these bricks and mortar breweries. Um, that's, you know, I, okay. But the problem is <laughs> you end up with way more capacity than the consumer can handle in the mm. province. And, the cost to do that and then continue to grow, right? Cause a lot of these businesses want to grow and fair enough as they should, you end up getting in a spot where you end up having too many and, and, and they start to fail 
um, and consolidate. And frankly, we're going to see that in the next year or two. You know, there's the, you probably heard this yourself in Ontario alone, there's what, 450. I think last year we started to see less for the first time in a long time. So call it 440 for something, but I know there's at least three, four, maybe five breweries opening up in the next 12 months that I know of. And um, it's a noisy space. It's very, very difficult. It's very competitive. Um, And, uh, you know, um, I see opportunity in that. uh, So we're excited, but it makes for a tough space. And I think, um, yeah, I just think it's a bit of a misguided view. And I don't think contract brewing or contract anything is is bad. I mean, in the non-oc space, many brands have been contracting to a major manufacturers for forever and most people don't even know, you know? Yeah. So from whether it's coca-cola in one country where they get someone you know they, they might make uh, have a partner that does it or nestle or down to you know a lot of these brands they don't have these massive facilities necessarily i mean it's it's this is not a it's not a new thing yeah. um and so I, I yeah i i you can still be a craft brand that creates great craft products um that connects with the consumer be it virtual or bricks and mortar at the end of the day, a lot of it's coming from a bricks and mortar facility, making a, hopefully a great product. So anyway, I could go on forever on that one. But yeah, I, there, it's still, it still exists as of a few months ago when I, when I got past that information. And I, I can't was, believe I was, that, Burn. I, I won't press you yeah. on it because I feel like that's, you've said <laughs> enough. Maybe we can talk off air, but like that is yeah, yeah. fucking crazy. I've never heard anything like that. I had heard from people who were, and I can say this publicly because people were there, but at the OCB meeting, there were, brewers who were previously contract brewers standing up in front of everybody proactively lobbying to be like these tax breaks that we get shouldn't apply to them because we have to pay more money because we have the more staff and more expenses so they shouldn't get it but that's how they started and it seemed like that was like that was a little weird to me um and you made a lot of really great points i was going to touch on as well there was the um I think the the brew pub thing where everyone should just focus on local community, that's fine. This is this like purist attitude that always kind of like pissed me off. Like where people got like a few years that we have a, a, a Twitter account called team lactose. Cause people got so mad about lactose in beer, like from milkshake IPAs that were popular around 2017. And I'm just like, yeah. I, I'd never seen such like people having hissy fits about and something that people put in a fizzy, carbonated malt drink like i couldn't yeah. believe that people were that upset about it. and then i keep seeing this puristy thing and that kind of there's this like attitude that that's what it should be and i'm like all right cool that's no problem to your point i've met people in quebec and i found quebec specifically breweries when i say people and had them mm-hmm. on the podcast they're like hey you know we don't really want to grow we just want to stay where we are maybe slowly change but we just want to keep it chill i'm like all right cool so there's some places that or some people that proactively don't want to grow. They want, yeah. it's like they've bought themselves a job. They're really happy doing their job. They don't have a boss. They're the boss, but they don't really care about like growth year on year, which is yeah. the heart of capitalism, but not everybody subscribes to that, it seems. And once again, more power to them. Do you think? Then I got, yeah. you know, the ones that people accuse of being marketing companies, Lost Craft was one of the main ones. Um, they have a brick and mortar now. So like, I don't know what you really want to say to that. Like to me, that was a big vindication for, for him and for just being like, all these people were shitting on him for years. He was targeting a very, very, and still now criminally underserved market being people of color in craft beer. Um, 
they weren't he was from Scarborough and he every people would always text me because we sort of came out at the same time he did. So we were sort of aligned early on and people would always text yeah. me, Hey, I'm at this house party, like half the people here were drinking Lost Craft. And that's just what it was because they were targeting an audience that weren't really into craft beer and then hopefully that created some gateway like we were talking about before with what a lot of the stuff that you guys do bringing them into yeah. the scene there's value in that yeah like you also said if yeah. you want to be a marketing company if you're a beer nerd and you don't like that then don't fucking buy it who cares like it's not that serious i just don't i don't understand it's like the, it's like those commenters on the internet like they if they don't like this interview they'll go and comment about it we'll just keep scrolling bro like you don't have to comment about it not every, it's that kind of thing it's yeah man it's yeah, it's, it's weird yeah i know you know like uh you mentioned true history matt and adam they, they just they opened a, a fantastic uh facility uh down really? on st Clair now definitely go check Good it out it's them. awesome Sick. such a lovely spot uh, lovely job with it and you know they deserve all the success in the world they work very hard and and if if they if their business takes off and they want to grow further afield they shouldn't be, you know. They should be. You should be allowed to do that. They should be encouraged to do that through the through the uh, the community. In my opinion, no. You know, yeah, I, I think, now they are though. They've got their they've got the concrete facility that makes all these people happy. So now they're okay. Well, now they're validated. But before, exactly, when Junction exactly. was brewing their stuff, and while they were building their brand and getting their capital together, yeah. that wasn't okay. But now it's okay. Yeah. yeah. So I'm sorry. Continue. Yeah. It, it no, 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 no. me off so I, I, much. I, I, I think we align very strongly on this. Yeah. Yeah. I think that lo- those that lobby for the craft beer industry, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe there's something I don't know, but it seems a bit misguided to me. Um, you know, I, I think we would be better served by them lobbying the government to, to lower the provincial volume tax. You know, those that, that aren't involved in the brewing world, it, it's highly taxed both federally and provincially. Right. And if they wanted a successful buoyant craft beer community, when it's getting, when, you know, Capital costs of equipment have gone up 20, 30, 40%. You know, if we head into a recession, we're going to get squeezed even more so on the top end because people look for more value-based things, you know, save a penny or two, which absolutely makes sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so if they, if, you know, the government just had to, rather than focusing on a buck of beer or things that get headlines, you know, lower the volume tax a little bit, which is, which is hefty. Um, it would create every, all these breweries would free up a bit more capital to reinvest and grow their grow their breweries and, and compete. So seems logical to me, but what what do I know? But uh, yes, yeah, <laughs> just, you know. just the CEO of a big company. So <laughs> the interesting thing about well, that, you uh, make <laughs> right. Well, well, happy to be home. Um, <laughs> um, I was talking to another brewery and uh, not on the pod, but recently, and they would tell me that. The cost, actually, be this is kind of a question and a statement, I guess. Um, but they were saying that the cost of, you know, every inflation right now, it's a weird time. Everything's increasing. Um, yeah. The cost of their ingredients has gone up, but then the consumer won't really take much of an increase in the price because yeah. there's only so yeah. much you can do. So therefore, they yeah. are having their margins like cut down more and more on an already thin situation and it's it's making the situation somewhat untenable um for them which is very disheartening to hear i don't know if you can yeah. speak to that at all or if, if that's a reality for everybody it could just be this particular brewery but it, yeah i know I, I think that would be across the board and it and it sucks you know because mm. I, I, again one of the challenges when you're a smaller brewery too your buying power is very low because the, your your output isn't terribly high so you're buying a premium per kilogram or whatever uh, of your ingredients so you've got to pass that on to the customer and i think 
you know, there's only so many $4 plus beers you can sell, um, you know, um, at, 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 you know, to kind of keep it going because the, you know, at, at some point the customer is looking for, for options. And, you know, as we go into thing, you know, hopefully we don't, but everyone seems to say a recession's coming. And, you know, typically, again, if you look back at the data, you know, to me, like the more value-based products tend to do well, you know, and I don't mean the mass market beers, but I think if there's opportunities where someone's could be like, Hey, there's a great beer at $4 and another great craft beer at three twenty-five or whatever, you know, maybe I go for the three twenty-five one now. And, and so, but to do it at that price and still have nice, great, you know, hops that cost a lot of money and all these nice ingredients, it's very hard, you know, because yeah, you've got your, your ingredients costs, your labor costs, you've got your excise tax, your volume tax, you know, uh, you've got your cost of distribution. How do you get it to where you're selling? You know, there's, there's all these costs that go into making beer again, no different to any other industry, but it's also regulated where you can sell it, how you can sell it. Mm. And so it's, it's um, it, it makes it very tough, particularly for smaller breweries. I mean, we have a lot of those same issues, but as, as we start to get bigger and have a bit more scale, we, we hope, we, we think we can start to kind of, um, you know, whether it's we can buy more because we're making stuff for us and others, we can have a bit more buying power perhaps, or we can do things to hedge a little better. Um, but that might, that might make it a bit better for us, but it's, but it's hard for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There's this, I, I don't think the, um, and the person you were speaking to, they're definitely not alone in that. Absolutely not. That's unfortunate to hear, but that's, that's kind of what I was uh, assuming it was going to be. Man, that's uh, yeah. it's a it's a weird time in the industry. Um, next beer, I know I, I kind of I prolonged this one. I was just enjoying the crispy. Um, what are we feeling, brother? Um, sh- should we do a Woodhouse one? Yeah, let's do it since we we're talking about it. Do, let's do the Nordic Pale Ale. That's that's my, that's one of my current favorites. Hell yeah! And then, then you're gonna then you're gonna grill me on it, and I'm only a couple months in, so I'm gonna do it justice. I'm sure. Uh, hey, it's okay. Graham will give you there a you call. Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Okay. He'll let you know. So Nordic Pale Ale, my guess without reading it is it's got some Kvike yeast. Yes, it does. Yeah. Citra yeah. Cashmere and Simcoe hops. All righty. All right. Let's go. So we're also very lucky that we, um, with, with Woodhouse joining us um, and Graham bringing, uh, Graham and his team coming over, we also have Vince, who's the Woodhouse brewmaster. And he's now our brewmaster working with Andrew. Oh, cool. And uh, he's awesome. Lovely guy. Fantastic uh, uh, brewer. Uh, he's running our brewing team, and uh, yeah, it's great to have him on board as well. I, I don't, I don't want to say we have a stack team, but I'm pretty excited about our guys. And um, and yeah, they're, they're, this one in particular, I think, is awesome. I, I love it. That's dope, man. Um, I'm gonna take a photo of it real quick, but I'm excited to try it. Uh, is this a relatively new skew? Because I don't think I can recognize it from his previous releases. It is, yeah. It's it hasn't been in the LCBO that long. Um, you know, definitely, um, we're talking months, um, but it's it's been doing very well, and the the feedback's been great. You know, it's lovely to hear customers' uh, thoughts and 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 see how it's selling through, and it's it's doing a great job. I think the you know uh, Vince and the team and Graham did a great job on this one. I think the can looks great, and yeah, yeah I'm obviously biased, but that's, <laughs> that's my personal opinion. But uh, you know, we're, we're pre- we get excited about our products. We'll say that. Yeah, that's important, um, man. I always appreciated yeah. Graham's uh, aesthetic where it was very simple and mm-hmm. color blocked. I really like color blocked. Uh, yeah. Where, where like yeah, you yeah, go no, in and totally. We have good, good debates on, 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 you know, where we go with junction and caribou too, which he's, you know, it's great bringing them on board. 
and having those discussions on, you know, going back to earlier, you know, having a portfolio, which is how is it still distinct? So every beer has a place, uh, yeah. in our total portfolio, but then also has, uh, you know, a different brand from, you know, whether it's a look and feel or just a different story that might resonate with someone a little bit different, but that we're not making, you know, two of the same for every brand that makes no sense to us. You know, we, yes. we don't want to, we don't want to do that. So we're, we, we, it'll evolve over the coming months to being, uh, a brand, you know, a portfolio that's also distinct between all the beers that we put out there. So it's easy, easy for people to understand. That's great to hear. And I feel like even just looking, I feel like Junction probably, correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like you guys are maybe a little lighter on the hoppier beers, whereas I know that, um, you know, Graham has, uh, there's an IPA, I think, there's this one, there's a couple of other ones, which would probably yeah. make up, uh, yeah, he's got the IPA here. Um Actually, but then you guys have a hazy IPA and you got the session IPA too, so maybe that's probably a bit of a boost. Yeah, uh, you know, so Superhouse has the double IPA. You might have had that before, um, and that's coming yeah. back. Uh, that's coming back soon into the LCBO as a seasonal. Um, we've got on on the Junction side that we've got our hazy IPA. So, uh, and we're just um, we're actually working through some. We're making kind of a version two of that. Um, and uh, Andrew and Vince and the team have gone out and gone out and looked for kind of interesting new and up up and coming hops, if I could say that. Okay. Um, and it's pretty awesome. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that'll be out, that'll be out soon uh, with some kind of hop names you don't necess- necessarily see all the time, but still has all the, the essence of what you would expect in kind of a true kind of hazy IPA um, kind of product. Love it. Excited to hear that. And I guess it's coming up in September, so it's uh, harvest time. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Perfect so time. probably October, October should be hitting I guess yeah okay mid October something like that fantastic yeah. this is great by the way dude so this is like only 5.2 nice and crushable um yeah I don't know if you want to tell me what your thoughts of it but I'm definitely the Kavikis gives it like a little little tropical little fruity punch in there uh, a little bit tart tons of um what you would expect from the hop was that citric has me a Simcoe so it's you know juicy totally mango citrus. for me what I love about Sorry, sorry, to interrupt. Mm. Uh, you know, for for me, what I love about it, I, I guess, being a beer drinker, and again, we were talking about it earlier. Maybe it's my time in the UK and drinking lower ABV drinks or or beers or what have you, um, or also get maybe getting a bit older. <laughs> is that um, if I can find something that's got something that's really tasty, but also not crazy high on the on the ABV, that's kind of checking boxes for me. And for yeah. me, I love this. I love the hot profile. I love, you know, just the, the notes that it gives off. And it's just, I can easily have two, three, four of these, depending on the night. <laughs> and, uh, and, 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 and just, it's just really enjoyable. Um, and, and I can have a few. And to me, as a beer drinker, I like that. You know, I can, I can have some and enjoy my night um, and, and wish you kind of crushing a few, which is great. Um, and I think that's, for me, that's one of the reasons I really enjoy this. I can see that, man. Yeah, this is like um, – I feel like almost the, the, the Kavikis as well give it um, a bit of longevity. Like it's uh, – the, the use of it is subtle in here because some – I feel like it was like really popular for a bit and then it kind of got a bit played out. Like I feel like it was everywhere, like too many beers used yeah, it yeah. and they, it, it wasn't always where it needed to be. So I haven't had yeah. one in a, in a little while, not like forever, but just not super recently. And this is just super smooth. Like it's a nice sort of like opaque, you know, yeah. kind of more along the lines of a new, like a New England East, or at least like a juicy yeah. 
pale ale rather yeah. than maybe like that West Coast style. So it works really well yep. with the hops. It's it's kind of just a little little touch of kind of earthy in there uh, to kind of balance it out. So it's not like a juice fest, but tons of flavor. Yeah, man, this uh, this sits really well. Once again, that Thank the, you. The, the pink can would be uh, popping off. I imagine this is um, LCBO. Yes, it is absolutely. Yeah, yeah, okay. it's, and it, we're, we're, it's been doing well for us. It's it's great. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. I'd love to hear it. Um, so it's very cool. The that partnership, I just I, I thought that was that was a. Uh, it, it seemed to make sense. You know, you know, I feel like it's happened a little bit recently. Steam Whistle and Bose joined forces, um, and uh, Graham coming bringing the brand over to you guys. It seems like uh, like now I feel like I got a better understanding even after we've only talked for like an hour and a half here. Um, just understanding kind of your, your thinking and where you're coming from and what you're trying to do with it. It's a, it's a good look. And I feel like at a time where it's a weird time to be alive, eh? Like so many, so everything is changing in front of our eyes seemingly sure. every day and this yeah. not uncertain future, but you know, who knows the the way it's going to go. It's, it's kind of cool to, you know, you brought it under the umbrella and being able to keep the brand alive if maybe it wasn't, uh, the breweries are under a lot of pressure right now, like we were saying, for, for many reasons, whether it's saturation, um, cost of pro, um, uh, ingredients, rents sure. in Toronto where, where Graham was. on um, is, is the brewery, the brew pub still there or did he? No, you know, as, as part of that, the process we went through, it just didn't make sense for, for Keeper, right? Woodhouse. You want two facilities and, um, you know, we see the future of this having one major kind of headquarters, if you will, um, and, and getting this out across Ontario, you know, so we that didn't need to have both. Yeah. But I can even just imagine just the, just Toronto rents are just insane. Um, of course. So, yeah. I mean, just even having that would be a, a lot of stress and pressure just, uh, having that going. So, um, this is great. Is Graham, Graham is still involved in. Oh, oh absolutely. Yeah. You okay. know, it's, uh, it's been great to get to know him and work with him. He, he heads our whole sales team now. Uh, he's our VP of sales and he's doing a great job. Um, so he's looking after the kind of, I guess we'll call it a portfolio, our portfolio of products. And um, so he's kind of leading the charge on, on where we go and I'm working with the, with Andrew and Vince and, and the brewing team on, you know, where we go with products and things like that in the future. Oh, that's cool. And um, you know, yeah, I mean, again, when we talk about synergies, uh, as we went through COVID on the junction side, I really cut back on our sales team because our partner channel was growing and licensees closed and things like that. So as we came out of this and we started talking to Woodhouse, they had a fantastic sales team. So again, kind of the stars aligned there. Mm. And so now our now the our sales team is essentially the Woodhouse team um, as well, which is great. So so again, there was a lot of synergies there, and uh, yeah, yeah, everyone's still involved. Um, and uh, yeah, we're just kind of settling into kind of our, our joined up world, if you will. Um, but, but also, you know, the idea was that this will help the Woodhouse brand, uh, kind of continue to grow and, and to take it to that next level, uh, whatever that ends up looking like. So, yeah, I think, I think we'll definitely see more Woodhouse in the future, as well as a lot more junction as they kind of start to really push that into, uh, say push and <laughs> sell into, uh, places that, uh, that are excited to have that product for sure. Love to hear that, man. That's, uh, that's really cool to at least, you know, keep him, he's still involved and, and brought his team on board. So everyone continues and it's really just like a joining forces type of situation. Yeah. To sort of 100%. Keep yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. That, that's the only way we would do it really. And I think, yeah. uh, you know, hopefully, you know, as we start to settle in, 
we'll start to accelerate some of these ideas that, that we have together and, and uh, you'll kind of see that come to fruition in the coming months and into next year. Love it. I love yeah. that, man. That, that's great. I was curious to touch on something we talked about before the, uh, the independent bottle shops um, you know, in Ontario or uh, something that's uh, yeah. been a really big yeah. advancement uh, in the last uh, couple of years. Has that been a, a major driving force for you guys as far as revenue or and, and distro, or is it is it more like you guys are sort of grocery store, LCBO, beer store, licensees? Like, just just curious because I, I can't remember uh, if we were saying it on air or off air, but I, I love no, the, no. I love the stores. I think it's the coolest thing ever. Um, to- totally. I mean, uh, I would say absolutely. I, does it does it kind of move needles from a business perspective? If if we're being honest, uh, it would, but you need a lot of them, right? Yeah, a like lot of these bottle shops are great, and and we'll we will happily support and, and and hopefully provide products they want that their customers want. But it's it's you know they might buy a case or two cases at a time, and so you need a lot of those stores to kind of kind of move the needle if you're starting to become a bigger brewery, and that's right. just simple math really. Um, so we'll absolutely, we, we do sell to them and we love supporting them and we're kind of fortunate where we've got fans and infrastructure where we can get those product, we can get our products to them. Um, but I don't think it necessarily place, replaces a bar that's buying kegs, you know, for, for most breweries, if, if, if you have taps and they're buying kegs from you, that tends to be a prof, more profitable, uh, kind of endeavor. If you mm-hmm. kind of would to rank it, the most profitable beer you can sell is in your tap room, right? That's, Cost per hectoliter, you're, you're rocking. If you can sell a lot in your tap room, and then from there it's kind of licensees, LCBO, you know, kind of work your way down um, in terms of like the, uh, the profitability. So you know, going back to the to, to places that that can do a good brew pub model in the local community, if they can fill it with people coming for dinner and buying pints, they can make a great go at it, right? And they can be very successful as that kind of brew pub model. Um, the question is, when they get good and they start to grow, you know, what do you do? That's when it starts to get opportunities there but it but it's a it's it's a high cost to kind of get to that point gotcha okay that makes sense and and you're right i was even um there's a similar thing i was talking to a brewery in, in quebec and uh he was telling me there's this one um i guess you could they're like a i guess it's franchise called teep fret and there was like someone started them and they're kind of uh, i think they came from the restaurant world so some of the beer people aren't really in love with them because of that but then they started franchising out. So they, you know, they've got big goals. And they've probably got thirty or forty stores, maybe even more uh, already. And cool. one brewery friend told me that he's like, I could sell to the smaller stores, and exactly kind of what you said: one case here, two cases there, whatever. Takes a while to get that kind of small change, but I can go to this bigger store, and they'll buy my entire batch. And then yeah. now I know that I've got that money, and then I can invest that into my funner projects that I didn't have the funds to do that for previously Absolutely. because I was chasing 200. Oh, this is uh let me just switch that out. The old, um, I'm going to switch the camera battery out. But yeah. The, um, yeah, that he couldn't do that for. And I was like, huh, I never really thought of it like that. So when you're saying that with the, the depths, it's almost like I always thought the like LCBO beer store kind of thing was like, a, it's like a discovery method. Mm. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, but just sort of that's how a lot of breweries would. So maybe you take an L on the margin because obviously LCBO has to take their cut and they buy it at a certain amount and, and so on and so forth. But it's exposing your brand to exponential number of, of customers. Um, mm-hmm. 
even though it's a pretty crowded shelf. But if it's a well curated shelf, then you know people are looking and they're picking up cans and, and so on and so forth. So yeah. it is worth taking that loss temporarily for that sort of long term gain because they'll maybe people will buy the beer and then they'll be like, Oh wow, this is great. Are, are they here? Oh wow, they're in junction. Cool, let me go down. And they'll come in, they'll yeah. visit and and then so on and so forth, yeah. and they become more of a loyal customer. So I yeah. wonder if if maybe there isn't enough time has gone past for the independent stores to have really become that sort of like, uh, you know, that full circle kind of thing where maybe we'll, people will come into, like we were talking about, I don't know, like say go to Red Church here in Hamilton and they can go and see a couple of breweries in there they might not have discovered before. Yeah. Uh, and they'll be like, oh, sweet, that was a cafe. So they'll be like, all right, this brew is cool. And then all of a sudden now they've been exposed to this product that they can go and investigate further whether it's buying online or visiting the facility so on and so forth yeah yeah no absolutely it's it's funny um it's it's interesting to see the the shift so to your point these these kind of cool spots that open with great bottle shops and offering cool beverages and stuff you know um to your point they can you know they they have a curated section they can go find beers that um, they might not necessarily have known about it and learn about them and discover that. So there's kind of discoverability aspect. Yes. <laughs> kind of like if I'm on Spotify and I get some music I didn't know, I can discover it. Same kind of vibe, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but but they're also finding that in all the beverages, like these these same bottle shops, they want non non alcoholic options because their customers are saying, "Hey, what, I want something cool that's non alk." Right. And they're like, "Oh, we got a cool non alcoholic beer that's really good," or "I've got this cool, you know, whatever flavor." water that just is awesome and so going back to what we talked about earlier these places these bottle shops of sorts are really helping foster this whole idea of that craft experience across the beverage scene um because they're they're looking for the they're looking for the cool versions of the mainstream products that they can put into their put put into their stores um which i think is really interesting and exciting because it's giving uh, smaller brands an opportunity to get in front of customers which they didn't have pre-covid Mm. Um, kind of cool. On the LCBO side, though, what's interesting? You, you said you know you talked about discoverability. Absolutely true. But um, what the data would typically show, though, is the average uh, uh, beer buy is they would go in and find a you know they would go and say, okay, I'm going to get six or whatever of the beer I like or I know that I can have. I know what I'm getting, but I'm getting and then I'm going to augment it with a couple things. You know? Right. So they're um, not. Buying crazy on the other side, but yeah. there's maybe a potential for that. Yeah, they're still picking and choosing because they're finding cool cans they like or things they haven't um, uh, uh, used or, or sorry tried before. But they're still going to put the six pack or pick six beers or whatever of the one they know. It kind of like is the staple, um, which is interesting. And, and case in point, if I look at our own. Uh, bodega sales where we offer our partner products people will come in and say even junction customers or woodhouse customers now and they might buy a case or a six or 12 of say junction products or woodhouse products they know and then they'll go into the bodega and add a few fun ones that they haven't tried right so that it actually that similar that similar use case kind of rings true in our scenario as well which hmm. is interesting um hmm. And so, so I think, you know, when I look, there's still an opportunity to sell a lot through the LCBO as you build up that base. But again, it also comes down to the style of beers, you know, again, <laughs> if you look at the data, 
you know, it's the loggers and kind of the, the, the non-crazy IPAs are the lion's share, you know. Uh, if you look at sours, I enjoy a good sour, but it's what, 4% of the, the craft beer sales, you know, like it's, it's not a, you know, we're talking single digit uh, market share. Um, still a lot in, in the grand scheme of things, but if you've got, you know, hundreds of products kind of attacking that, that, uh, that space, oh, it's hard to kind of, kind of hard to grow in that, if that makes sense. Never thought about it like that. That makes a lot of sense for sure. So it sounds like the independent stores are kind of like, it's like it's dribbling in stuff, but it's maybe not a needle mover as such. Well, I mean, and again, I, you know, for us, I mean, and again, maybe because I'm very operational, you know, I love stores like that. Like, as I said, my wife owns a cafe that has a bottle shop and loves to find those interesting experiences. And I like it too, because she'll be like, Hey, look what I got. This is awesome. And we'll try it. And we enjoy that. That's, um, and, and so I love that experience myself. Um, but you know, they're, they're, they're a coffee shop and they sell lots of things. And while alcohol now is, is a good, uh, revenue generator for, for her business, um, be it wine or beer or what have you, you know, it's not like going to the bar on a Friday night and they're pouring pints of, of whatever beer. Right. So, so, and, and for, for, uh, for a brewery, if you can sell kegs into high volume bars, for example, and every week they're ordering a bunch of kegs from you. That's that's a that's a good licensee and revenue, you know, kind of revenue customer for you for sure. Mm. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. So it's sort of like kind of come back to what you're saying earlier about this diversifying in general. Like it's probably it's almost like worth trying a bit of everything as a, a beer business, whether you're contracting or bricks and mortar. Um and then seeing what works and then maybe leaning into the to other ones and maybe some things will, some things won't convert. But it's sort of in a market that is getting progressively more saturated, maybe it is worth getting, a you know, even if it is a matter of a case at a time in these smaller stores, it could yeah. start to result, you know, at the end, of that, I guess you're gonna, it's almost like you attack it one drinker at a time. And, and oh, slowly for, for sure. Yeah. Like to, to your point, if I was a new brand starting up a new brewery, you know, those kind of places would be great. You know, like if I could, if I could get into these places that are cool, that are known for having cool brands or finding interesting brands and people seek that out, that's kind of where I want to be. Mm. Right. Um, because that's, that's kind of where you, and then you start to build that following where they hopefully enjoy it and they talk about it. They post it. You, you mentioned you, you uh, on the, do a lot of social media business you know what this is like. They, 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 they talk about it. They post about it. That's what you want. You want to get that, you know, that flywheel kind of effect. Whereas it's, you know, people start talking about it and it starts to grow and grow and grow. And that's, and that's critical for any young brand. So yeah, I, I, I think I, there's definitely good value there for sure. Yeah. Mm. yeah, no, you're right. I have a friend in, um, in Montreal who, who runs Depeneau and he said, um, it's like sometimes when the breweries drop off, you know, he buys the beer they don't always drop off samples. And he was like, the thing about that is that it's not that he wants the beer. He's like, I need my staff to try the beer. So when a consumer comes in, they can um, intelligently and accurately talk to them about the product. Um, Even Chris from Durand here in in Hamilton was saying to me, he said with the wineries, obviously it's very different. You know, you go to can of beer, it's, it's a matter of a couple of bucks or maybe three, four, five dollars. 
you're talking a bottle of wine that they need to give you a tasting of. It's a different thing. So he said the wineries don't often do it. So it's like it's difficult for their staff to be able to sell those products without being exposed to them. So there's also yeah. that thing. So it's almost like the the brewery business needs to romance, you know, not necessarily, but you know what I mean? Like really make sure that the, the people who are selling their products understand it. And then that allows them to therefore, excuse me, sell to their end drinker. Um, so it's almost like it takes it out of your hands. Whereas if they come to the junction tap room, you have control over that experience. So it's like, if you don't treat, the point of sale correctly, whether that's LCBO beer store or independent, um, they might not be able to express that to a consumer. You know what I mean? I imagine that's probably a challenge for everybody. Yeah, but it's it's funny because you know we've talked a bit about the, the kind of the bottle shops now here, but you also make a good point. A lot of these places because they're trying to get these curated experiences that are not the LCBO uh, and you know uh, or or kind of the more mainstream grocery spots, for example. So they're trying to curate and come up with interesting products. And the team is also excited about it because this is kind of part of that store's experience. So they really want to understand it and really get behind it as well. So the level of knowledge share and, and education they want on these products is much, much higher um, than, than say if you're selling, you know, again, not that the grocery store doesn't want to know these things, but you know, they're looking at the operational side, you know, I've, I'm, how do you get it to 50 stores? It's going to go on these shelves in our planogram and you know, obviously, they want to be educated on it if someone asks. But it's along with thousand other products. I mean, it's a different it's a different kind of conversation. Yeah. The small bottle shop, bar, cafe that's got this curated section that they're very proud of and get really behind. They want to know all about it. So when a customer asks, "Oh, this is great. We chose it for these reasons because we think it's really good." Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I agree with you that it's it's that's a very interesting point actually that that it's it's kind of evolving now as these stores do that yeah yeah and and it's just multiple people are responsible for sort of how the brand is 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 explained and sort of uh uh, introduced to somebody and you know what it's like first impressions are kind of key so if you know if if the person at the store couldn't really explain it to you properly depends what kind of drinker you are you like rolling the dice type of person you're like yeah i like the can i'm gonna i'm gonna give that a crack or you're like yeah i don't know now i'm gonna go to my safe one you know so there's there's different people and it's sort of therefore that impacts your brand when you're sort of leaving that in the hands of somebody else who may not have been equipped to to sort of speak to it so it's an there's a whole bunch of challenges i guess the point of this is a bunch of challenges that are um facing craft breweries um right yeah. now that are, that are quite interesting. I feel like that might even be a kind of a good segue. Um, something that uh, <laughs> we'll be jumping into in a sec. I feel like you know where I'm going with this is the, uh, yeah. you know, and you said you had some thoughts on this. And I'm fascinated to hear what you think. Um, you know, other segments have been attacking craft beer over the last little bit, uh, you know, whether it be seltzers or RTDs. Fun fact, and you of all people, uh, being that you were from England originally and you've uh, been around Australia and things like that, you would have seen RTDs or ready-to-drink products. We grew up with that in Australia. We were drinking like pre-mixed, you know, Jim Beam and Coke when we were 15 type of thing. Like it it was all the rage in Australia. I imagine it was pretty similar in the UK. So to see RT, I imagine 
you will probably be as tripped out as I am that RTDs are just coming out here and people are losing their minds. Like, this is so convenient. Like, bro, we've been doing this for more than half my life. Like, what are you, where were you? <laughs> what happened in North yeah. America? I don't understand. Absolutely. I just don't get it. No, you're bang on. When I, I mean, when I tell people I go into Marks and Spencer's in London and they'd have like a plastic wine glass full of white wine or red wine with the, you know, the foil cover. And at lunch, people grab a sandwich and a plastic glass of wine and go sit in the park and have a glass of wine and a sandwich. They thought that was crazy. I but yeah, that, that, that. that's amazing. <laughs> so that, that kind of, it, it, I mean, I mean, but it, to your point though, it, it's a drip, it's just a different culture, yeah. that, you know, Europe, even Australia around drinking and um, you know, it, I mean, yeah, living in England, I guess we had it here even in the 90s, you know, the Mike's Hard Lemonade, and the, but they were very sugary, very... Good point. But it's like um, one, you know, it's not like a segment as much. Uh, yeah, Alka Pops or something, I can't remember what they call them. Maybe was it Poppers? Or the, um, oh, you mean in England? I think that's a canister you would... Uh, oh, well, that's a, that's a different thing altogether. That's a, <laughs> that's a whole other... That's a different segment. Yeah. <laughs> A Sunday, they're all over the road. Yeah, yeah. yeah you need the little nitrous oxide. Yeah, you know the vibes. Um, <laughs> the the ones here, there's the cans called poppers. What's the other one? That's my cards lemonade. Um, the stollies, the stolichnia, like we used to have them in Australia, yeah. like the lemon flavored vodka yeah. thing. Even before I drank beer, I was drinking those bad boys. Um, yeah, but even just like whatever brand, like they had, like I don't know if they had that in England. There's a there's a bourbon called Sam Cougar, so they had Cougar and Coke because it was cheaper than Beam and Coke. But you get the white label yeah. Jim Beam and Coke with, or you get the black label, which was eight percent, but the white was five percent. So you could go and yeah. like that was what we were drinking when we were absolutely underage and had no business doing it. But it was the most you're going to get a thirty dollar bottle of Jim Beam, and then you're like everyone at the party's like, oh, pour me one, pour me one. But if you just came there with three yeah. cans for the night, no one bothered you. So it was like a convenience thing. I don't want to have to sit there and mix it. Anyone bring in a bottle and mixing it, you're like, oh, man, that's, you're doing work. Yeah, so exactly. Like, yeah. I think, yeah. Excuse me. We, we used to do – I used to go to parties. What is it? They had a garbage can. They put the Kool-Aid powder mix in, vodka, <laughs> soda. You'd have like big, just a big mix of this Kool-Aid vodka. There was a name wow. for it. For someone that would know. I mean, it was just ridiculous. But, yeah, that's uh, – <laughs> That's very ridiculous. Is, I mean, I think it was, what was I think it was called Hooch, which is just a terrible name. Yes, yeah, like but it was it was the same kind of thing, right? So you had these very sweet. I think they were called Alka Pops. Someone would probably correct us, but or correct me. But it, it it's um, they were always kind of off over here, you know. Like you, mm. you they were you know they they obviously sold very well. Like Mike's Heart mm. Lemonade did extremely well, yeah. but they didn't no real connection to the beer category. It was very separate, you know. Like you're, right. it, I, I think. Um, at least no, that's fair. I very much agree yeah. with that. No, it wasn't even like I don't know beer drinkers who would proactively drink those type of. Uh, they would drink liquor yeah. in a serious way because beer drinkers are like serious. Well, the type of people like you and I may be a bit more serious about that. So they would drink their liquor neat, and they would have Pappy Van Winkle and shit like that, like serious sure. stuff, sure. as opposed yeah. to these premixes that were. It hasn't been aligned with beer in any shape or form. I think until yeah, yeah, yeah. I would argue until seltzers, because beer make, uh, breweries started making seltzers, and then RTDs arguably were a separate thing, and now it's starting to kind of blend into this kind of like because these like craft spirit makers are doing RTDs. So then the craft spirit makers gave RTDs the the, the kind of 
credibility that made it maybe acceptable, yeah. like, you know, Dylan's gin doing their ones and stuff like that. Um, started doing it and the people, oh, okay, you know, and, and they go, go from there. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Well, I mean, I think it, White Claw really started the trend, right? Which is Absolutely. funny because they, they were also Mike's Hard Lemonade and then the Mark Anthony group or whatever. Geniuses, obviously. Hey, let's come up <laughs> with this clearly. Uh, that's that's uh, unofficially flavored. Malt-based or whatever in the States and let's come up with a clear liquid that's, uh, you know, in a can, White Claw. And then the university scene took it up with that, that was it, no laws with the claws or whatever, <laughs> the, the saying. And it just... That's awesome. Skyrocket. I mean, literally overnight, just right. blew up. And then when they came to Canada because of taxation, they switched it from malt to, to being um, uh, like spirit. So it's Ooh. I guess it's vodka based or whatever, neutral grain spirit, I guess. And um, uh, you know, obviously huge. But it obviously a lot of people are like, "Hey, what's going on here?" And 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 and. I don't know the history, whether there was other brands locally, like like the, the nudes and the socialites at the time that were on the same wavelength and it was just in parallel or after, I, I don't know. Mm. Um, but around the same time, I guess we'll say that, they all kind of just took off. And um, I think it's just, it was combined with the idea that, you know, people are looking again for those different experiences. There's been a movement, I think even in the LCBO, they've been on this kind of track of like uh, this kind of healthier for you, which is kind of funny when, all they do about alcohol. Yeah. Um, but, but you know, like it's, it's this idea of it's, it's a healthier for you products. Um, and, and of course, always, if you read the news, they're, you know, less, consume less alcohol and all these things. So what marketers do best is they create products that go for that message. So they come out with sleek cans and clear liquid and, you know, a little bit less alcohol, you know, and, and a lot of these seltzers, which are great and they've done incredibly well, are you know um, they're very simple. They're they're you know uh, they've got their spirit. They've got their they're diluted. They're carbonated, and they have flavoring, which mostly is extracts and things like that. Which which uh, for those that don't know, is nothing wrong with them. They're you know, it says natural flavors on the can or whatever. They're tip, but they're typically ethanol based. But they're they're manufactured be super concentrated. So you just put a little bit of you know you don't need much to create a lot of flavor. Uh, it's used in beer all the time as well. Sometimes to really get that crazy, you're like, how did they do that? That's this incredible flavor, smell, and um, you know that's how you can do it sometimes. To and that's that's where brewers become very creative and do interesting things sometimes. But uh, a lot of that was used to get you know how did they get so much taste and flavor into a clear liquid? That's how they do it. And 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 but people resonated with it because there was a perception, even though I think the white white claws what five percent um, mm. is that. So it's the same as any beer at five percent. That it was healthier. Maybe it's a few less calories, but this presumption that it's still healthier. It's still five percent alcohol. You're still having to, you know, have a few. You're going to probably have a happy time. But but it's it's it just kind of took off as this kind of alternative to beer. And young people who might have been drinking beer were starting to drink this, and it started to really take off. And I think at the time, I think a lot of people thought it was a fad. I mean, I don't know if you've had others talk about this on on your podcast or not, but. I remember, you know, a year ago, 18 months ago, people were like, oh, I don't know, is it just a thing? You know, is it just kind of a fad where people realize it's not much to it? <laughs> but it's really here to stay. And yeah. um, because, again, I think you're starting to see people innovate and do interesting things and find ways that, to make it interesting for a customer. And I think on top of that, this continual message of uh, lower alk or healthier versions of alcoholic drinks, so less calories and so on, is really starting to resonate with a wider audience. And so it's, it's kind of pushing more people towards that product. 
Um, Graham and I talk about this a lot, actually. He made an interesting observation the other day. He was hanging out. I don't know where he was. He was there was a bunch of people there, uh, and mostly I think it was a, a, mostly guys or whatever. They would typically drink beer, and some of them were like, you know, banging back uh, uh, RTDs. And he was like, that, "That's an interesting insight." Because normally you'd think they'd be having a beer, but they're, they're drinking these kind of RTDs. Mm-hmm. And I think for them, I don't know what the reason was, but it's starting to get a much more mass appeal, whether we like it or not in the beer community. So, so, so you know, and then you've got the combined factor of uh, the distribution channels are waking up to the fact that the sales are ridiculously high on these types of products. Mm-hmm. So the LCBO, for example, is like, hey, this is now real okay, we only have a certain amount of shelf space in our facilities, in our stores. We got to do something. So guess what, craft beer? You're getting squished because um, we need more space for our TDs, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so you've got all these different dynamics going on, which again put pressure on craft breweries because in this case, our TDs are doing very, very well. Um, and so it's, it's driving that, you know, and fair play to the LCBO. They're seeing opportunity. They're listening to their customers and they're trying to find they want to have a selection. I think, you know, we all know, at least in Ontario, the LCBO is the biggest purchase of alcohol in the world. And, um, you know, even though it's a government-run organization, they actually do quite well. The selection is quite good. You know, like I can walk into a store and pretty much get anything I want and fair play to them. They've kind of developed that. And and at least when it comes to craft products or local products, they're, they, they, they definitely have a mandate of trying to create a very interesting selection of products and i think they do that pretty well mm-hmm. and um and, and so but as our tds are getting bigger they got to find space so it's kind of craft beer is getting a bit of a push in favor of craft uh in in, in favor of, of rtds now which is it's interesting uh, on many fronts but that's kind of the way the world's going right now for, for those reasons agreed it's interesting you mentioned that graham noticed that the la- last summer and this summer in montreal well before we came here we know we walk through the park we live right next to montreal like the actual the mountain so we'd walk yeah beautiful you know it's a beautiful beautiful spot um we'd walk through the park dead ass basically every single group of people were drinking seltzers they would come through with like a 12 pack of seltzers specifically didn't matter the gender the makeup of the people they would like it would be like 90 something percent of people would be having Celsius. It was yeah. to the point where I was like, this is crazy. And I agree with you that with the observation that it's kind of here to stay. It was yeah. like really kind of wild to, to us. So I've seen a lot of it. So I, I feel like it started with Celsius and then it's moved to RTDs. Yeah. I don't know if you agree with that, but I felt like I saw this at least look in the context, excuse me, of beer, that the beer yeah. world were exposed to Celsius. White Claw, I think maybe some different breweries were like, oh, hang on, we can make this. Yeah. And they, they realized that it was under their jurisdiction and making it from a malt yeah. base. They were able sure. to do it. Someone like Willabold uh, here in Ontario were able to do a great job and make really interesting products with a craft beer ethos. Um, I don't know if they, you know what I mean? And, and obviously they're available in Red Church, um, which is super cool because it's like a fun product. So to see yep. – what you guys are doing. So you guys have, have introduced and pulling these bad boys out. Oh man, it's cool. It's keeping these bad boys cold. I love it. Um, this is just my first podcast back in this new set. Right. So I'm just like, always worry about the beers being cold. I'm never used to this. This is awesome. Um, so you got 
Is it three flavors? This is basically the the yeah. main range right now. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. yeah talk talk Again, us through the, them. Yeah. The, so the idea was simple. I mean, we we kind of talked about the reasons why we might look at that. Again, because we also make lots of products for other people, be it beer or otherwise, we also have the ability to make uh, spirit based products for ourselves. Gotcha. So you know, we we wanted to you know what would what would our junction version of this look like? So we we brought out a product. Um, very recently, these three products here. We really want this. I mean, we're very proud of these, and I'll explain why in a second. But we also want it to be a, a, a kind of a feedback loop where let's get it out there and see what our customers tell us they like or don't like, and and really learn from them. And our goal is to kind of take that learning and really evolve that so that by next year, um, as we do the next, you know, we'll do some batches and iterations between now and then. That as we get into spring next year, where you know it gets really busy for these types of products. Um, we've got something that we're very, you know, we think is very strong for where we want to go with it. So, um, but these products here, um, we sat down and said, okay, we tried a bunch and, uh, myself and, uh, Sarah, our marketing person and Jesse and Andrew. And so when we sat down and said, what, well, you know, what are we, what's going on in the world? You know, seltzers and they're very clear, you know, a lot of these, these extracts, can we still make a version that hits those, those points such as, you know, it's lower sugar, lower calorie and all these things that you know, some people are, you know, kind of uh, gravitate to, but mm -hmm. let's use real fruit juice. Let's use real flavoring um, oh, really? and things like that. So, uh, and let's also have some color. Let's have some fun with it and see what people That's think. Sick. Um, and, and again, I, I don't think we're, we're rewriting the rule book or anything, but we just want to have some fun with it. And so we, you know, we kind of, we, we dug deep into our nineties vibes and, uh, and we kind of came up with three flavors to get feedback on from, from our, from our customers um, and, uh, and we kind of went with that. And so now we've got these, uh, few flavors. There's, um, twisted citrus, which is kind of an orangey kind of citrusy vibe. We've got the, the red one, which is kind of a party punch. So it's, again, it's all real fruit juice, um, that we work with one of our suppliers, which is awesome. That helps us get that. And then we've got one, uh, that if uh, anyone who maybe grew up in the nineties a bit, uh, you might understand this blue fizz, which is basically like having a, uh, one of those blue freezies. And, uh, I would say we, we did this on purpose, but it wasn't that that uh, good. But the color of the can is almost identical to the color of the liquid, which is awesome. I kind of feel <laughs> so like this is the one I'm going to have to crack. Are you going to crack one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So th that, that's definitely the most fun. It's like having a blue freezy for when you're a kid. <laughs> I'm with it. Because I didn't grow up here. I don't know if we had the same types of freezies. Oh, yeah, maybe you didn't. Yeah, yeah, maybe you didn't. I don't know. So, but it's, uh, I don't know if we did. Yeah, we'll so find they're, out. They're, 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 uh, the alcohol is not too crazy on them. No, four um, percent. Yeah, so you can definitely have a few. Uh, it's vodka based, so it's like having it. You know, uh, like you might mix your own vodka at home or something like that. Um, and uh, yeah, it's great. They're good fun, and um, we're just gonna see what people think, and we're going to evolve it based on that. We think it's uh, it's going to be a good uh, a good product line for us as we as we go forward. You know, one of the things that we're interested in, you might have an opinion on this as well is yeah. Um, we talk about this a lot is, you know, junction brewery in the sense of a brewery, do people resonate when we have vodka soda cans? You know, maybe it, maybe we do a whole other brand. Um, and that's something we're trying to understand and get feedback. But there you go. Look at that. Look at that blue, mate. Woo! in a can. That's so sick. Like, that's crazy. That is electric yeah. blue. I love it. <laughs> I just want to point out that the – this is 90 calories. The other two are 100 calories. This is two right. grams of sugar. Um, there's yep. four and then five. So yep. very low 
exactly what you're uh, you're talking about here with um, you know low ABV basically hitting that mark that people are, are looking for. It got the sexy sleek can with the uh, the very bright popping colors, very nineties like like you said, along with just low calories, which is kind of what people are after. Yeah, I think so. I hope so. Yeah, and it's uh, that's the fun one. We'll see what you think. That's fascinating. It's yeah. like it's super light. I don't. I don't think I've had the blue freezy. I think that is my uh, cultural disconnect, just because I haven't yeah. been around. But that's okay. I can taste what a we would call them an icy pole in Australia. Um, yeah, you know, they're in the thing. They're like a long. Yeah, so those would be there was like a brand of those that specifically yeah. um we rocked to it and I I can't remember if there was a blue one. I'm I'm way too old. But I can absolutely taste this as being that like I can see exactly what you what you've gone for here. Um with that I mean like it's this is this is fascinating, bro. And when when did these yeah. launch? These these must be pretty new, eh? Brand new. So we, Brand we've new. actually officially launched in the last uh, week or so. Oh wow! And obviously, we, yeah, we're we're gonna we were trying for the summer, and then we had to get our licenses, and then with the Woodhouse thing going on, we're just we're very busy, and everything was gone. So it's um, it's coming out now, but it's again, you know, we just want to get it in the hands of people and tell us what they like and don't like, and um, we, we're gonna we're gonna listen to them and kind of evolve it so that by next spring we've got something where we think is bang on. But we're very proud of the three and. Yeah. We, we we're, we're very confident in the idea that we want to use real juice, real sorry, real fruit juice. Um, you know, when you say this, you, you you mentioned the grams of sugar, that's from the actual fruit juice. It's not uh, that's where it comes from. So, you know, uh, and, so uh, and, cool. and and so we wanted to be kind of focused on that and have a bit of fun with it and just see what people think. Um, yeah, you know, the feedback so far has been awesome actually, and uh, it's, it's been very. Uh, very great. So, so yeah, we'll see what happens. It's very cool. Is this going to be um, LCBO as well, um, or is this like direct uh, for now? That's a good question. So, um, traditionally, with the LCBO with these RTDs, um, again, they get hundreds of submissions for every call they do, uh, okay. and their sales their sales targets are incredibly high. So, you see a lot of the brands where they're they're major brands that are doing very very well, which is awesome. Um, but to get startup brands in there, that's been very difficult. Gotcha. Um, and so there's discussion around you might be having a, kind of a craft version or a call to get some of these brands, startup brands in there like this. Excuse me, but we'll, we'll see. I mean, that would be great. I, you know, it, it, one of the things we're also doing is we're, we're selling this in is what do bars and restaurants think? Is this something they want? Do they want a canned vodka flavored product? Uh, or, you know, like you might buy a beer. Um, or, you know, do they just want to do uh, vodka soda off the, the rail, you know? Mm. So, so we're, we're learning, we're learning from them what makes sense for their businesses in terms of the product. Um, because maybe, you know, maybe this only works very well in certain markets. And if that's the case, then the LCBO becomes one of your main distribution channels. Um, so then, it, you know, if you have an opportunity to get in there, then fantastic. So we're trying to figure this all out. We believe in it. There's companies doing a fantastic job in that, but you know, for, for craft breweries or craft businesses, if I could say that kind of going into this space, there's still a lot of unknowns as we try to figure it out. Yeah, that makes sense. I feel like there's yeah. like a lot of potential for this. Like even um, clubs could be interested yes. in something like this. 
like something that you mm. never would have even thought of, like some place that, like you said, that would have like the the rails or whatever that yeah. people don't know. You know, if you think, I, I don't know, I imagine you are probably like me and haven't gone clubbing for quite some time. And I me- I remember back in the day, even then I would probably, before I drank beer, I would drink like the Stoli. Did you have them here? Like the Stoli, we call them Stolis, like Stilichny or vodka in these little clear yeah, bottles. That were- Smirnoff Ice. Smirnoff Ice, was that the same thing? It, I think it was like that a was the, yeah, it was the older version of that. And it was like lemon oh, okay. flavored or whatever. Yeah. So like the yeah, last right. thing I wanted, and I was like real soft. I didn't, I was never a big drinker until I discovered beer. Um, yeah. I enjoyed it because it was kind of light and fruity and it was in a bottle yeah. where if someone bumped you on a dance floor, if you had like a bourbon and Coke, you've got this yeah, open yeah. glass that's just going to spill everywhere as soon as someone hits you. Whereas like you've got yeah. this bottle it was fine so if you have if people have a can of this stuff and they're able to be on a dance floor at a rave or at a party whatever it might be it's a you know making life a little bit easier for them the cans are pretty and colorful so it stands out like i can see it working in those venues where maybe the 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 beer products aren't as in i mean i imagine like a pilsner and stuff could probably work with that crowd but you know what i mean like yeah this is great we're gonna hit up every Every club in Toronto, <laughs> Waterloo, every university yeah. town in Hamilton, yeah, yeah. we're both out here. McMaster must have some stuff. Um, yeah. The the LCBO near, funnily enough, we were at, there's one in like Dundas, right by Ancaster where the McMaster is, and we went there. We were at Grain and Grit the other yes. day. We went to Grain yeah. and Grit just for a quick beer. I went to the supermarket yeah. and my girlfriend was like, oh, I just want to go to LCBO. Let's just Google one. Oh, okay, cool. It's around the corner. We went there. I waited in the car with the dog and she was just like, I've never been in a place where everyone was 20 before. She was like, this, it, like, this was weird because it was around the corner. And that just yeah, kind yeah. of got me thinking those individuals, their drinking habits would be completely different to yeah. diff- you know, maybe some of the, the beer people and perhaps – these reasonably priced crushable like to get a 12 pack and split them between yeah. you know they're not going to buy four of them they'll buy 12 of them sure and, you know what i mean they'll split them with a friend or something like that um you know i just feel like it could be that type of crowd who would be that's one of the other angles or you know you, i could maybe even like a craft beer bar where sometimes you bring a friend and they just don't want beer they might not want wine but if you've got something like this on offer where it's not like a mixed drink from a bartender, but it's just this like convenient can that they enjoy. Yeah. They can pour it out or drink it from the can. Yeah, I feel like there's a lot that you guys could do with this. Um, that's worth yeah, exploring. I think, I think so yeah, I agree. No, that's great. I I agree. And we're but we're just trying to figure it out, you know, and and um, and and be honest with ourselves and trying to understand where the market is of what we think we can do with it, and just learn from that so we get a we get a, a product that uh, you know really we think attacks the market's needs by by next year. So that's kind of our plan with it. Yeah. Love to hear it. You mentioned earlier about craft beer and the the growth of the market. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on it. Like is craft beer growing? Is it slowing down? Uh, You did mention briefly that RTD slash Celsius are, you know, taking a bit of a, a, the market share there. What do you, what, what are your thoughts? What's that looking like? Excuse me right now. Yeah. So, so what's interesting is if you if you look at LCBO data, craft beer sales are down year over year significantly, um, okay. and I think that's for twofold. One, I think yeah, RTDs have taken some of that uh, that oomph out of the market. I think the big guys, you know, the the big uh, multinationals are also getting better at attacking that same 
uh, craft uh, customer, mm-hmm. rebranded cans, uh, products and, mar- and advertising that kind of really resonates with them. You know, like I, I go to bars and there's, there's a lot more Bud Light drinking than I've, I've seen in a long time at quote unquote cool bars that, you know, like it's, mm-hmm. um, they're, they're, they're finding, they're making headway into that craft market that's really took the wind out of their sails over the last decade or so. So you, you've got all these factors coming in that's going to make it hard for craft to grow. And then on top of that, you've got a very noisy market where there's always more breweries opening uh, that are adding more products into the market. And we're probably at a point now where there's more in the craft beer space, excuse me, uh, tank capacity than we can actually consume. Hmm. And Overlay that with uh, tough import-export between provinces to the states. You know, it, it makes it difficult for, for brands to grow. So craft beer is in a tough spot. Coming out of COVID, many are financially strained, noisy space, pressures on all ends from equipment and ingredients to price pressure to new product categories. So it, it, I, I think we've probably got a couple years of, as a generalization, of tough tough craft beer uh, years ahead, if to be completely frank with you. It doesn't mean this opportunity or that brands won't succeed. They absolutely will, I think. But it, it, it's being creative. It's, it's having access to finances. It's all those kind of things that we started the conversation with around sophistication in the beer space and the ability to, to evolve and address challenges that appear in the market. And I think those that find ways to do that, whatever that is, um, we'll, we'll probably have a pretty good go through this process, no matter what size they are. Um, and I think so, but, but unfortunately I think it's going to be also tough for others, uh, I'm afraid, but, um, I, I don't think this is a precedent. I think if we look back at times in the market, it's happened before in various degrees. Um, you know, wh- whether there was in the past where breweries have gone and eaten up others, or there's been overcapacity in a market and, and things have changed this, there's been in the beer space, these things have happened before in their own ways. And this is just our way now. And I think, you know, the U S I think was in a number of years ago, saturated with craft breweries and it went through a consolidation period. For example, Uh, we're probably in that phase now, I think it would be my take. Uh, Not to be doing, I think there'll be great breweries that succeed and lots (laughs) of great products still. I don't want to be too doom, doom and gloom, but I think that's an unfortunate truth of where we're at. Yeah. Are you concerned? Uh, I'm not. I think we've done our hard work in the last couple of years on the back end to make, to put us in a good position. Um, and I think partnering with Woodhouse and being in a position where we can grow and see opportunity to continue to grow our business. I think we're positioned very well. Um, I think there's always going to be a craft beer market. Um, and I think we can, we can hopefully create products that consumers want and continue to grow our business there. Um, but but I, I, I think we will go through uh, a time of where it's going to be difficult. And that sucks because the craft beer space is very community-based. Yeah. It is a very kind of cool space to be in with lots of lovely people that love doing what they're doing. And, um, and I, maybe I hope I'm wrong in all this, but the, 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 the factors would say we've, it, it might be a bit difficult over the – put it this way, the Bose steam whistle deal or us working with Woodhouse or whatever, whatever – these aren't the last to happen in the, in the next little while. And I know there's a lot of, brewer- I know uh, more than a handful of breweries that are currently up for sale. So, mm-hmm. so I, 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 th- I think it's going to be uh, an interesting year or two for sure. Hmm. 
Okay, but overall positive, it just might be a bit of a uh, little rocky path in the short term. Yeah, but I, I, but again, I think for those that create great products that the consumers love, they will do fantastic. Mm. Um, and I think we shouldn't, not that you or I do, but we shouldn't frown on breweries that try to innovate and come up with new products, be it interesting seltzers or, or a contract brewer that comes up with a great idea. If that's how they, they create these businesses that end up being successful because they create products for the consumer, that's a great thing. Yeah. Um, and I think we will have more of that, uh, but it might be, maybe it's slightly different. Um, than what it is now who knows um, but yeah I, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years for sure but I think there's always going to be a very buoyant and very healthy craft beer industry in some form um, because of the way it's set up and, and, and organized and um, yeah so I, I think it'll be great regardless but I think it's going to look a bit different in a couple of years hmm. okay that's uh, really interesting I'm, uh, it's going to be it's going to be a uh, something to watch and to, to see how it all goes um, I agree. With you. This is this is fascinating. So the, I want to round everything out with the uh, well, it's sort of like the 11th anniversary, but it's kind of redoing the 10th because you know there wasn't really an opportunity to celebrate the 10th last year. Um, yeah. Do you want to maybe talk us through what's uh, what's happening um, in the in the next few weeks or, or months as far as uh, the celebrations? Yeah, so so you know, it, it's kind of our tenth plus one, I guess. You want to do something to celebrate ten years, as you do. Yes, and uh, you know, I, again, we we want to do something kind of light touch, but have a bit of fun. So for the entire month, we've just got we've got lots of things going on at the breweries, uh, or sorry, at the brewery, from lots of different programming and different events happening. Um, and at junctioncraft.com, you get the whole lay of what's going on every every week. Um, we've got. Uh, We've got little chips actually all uh, hidden around the Junction community. Um, and if you find one, you can bring it in for a free drink, which is pretty cool. Nice. Um, and we're just having a bit of fun like that. We're, um, you know, we're, we're just trying to have a bit of fun with it. We're doing a lot of giveaways. Uh, you can nominate a charity that you're passionate about. We're going to give some money away through the Caribou Foundation uh, at the end of the month that we're raising money for. Um, and, yeah, we're just really having, uh, having some fun around celebrating our community and the beer and just what we've been up to for the last little while. Um, and yeah, just hopefully have bring in some people and hopefully they can have a nice time with us as well. That's really cool, man. It's cool to see, uh, you know, like you guys are making up for the lack of ability, you know, the, the bringing people together to celebrate a, a milestone. Um, I feel like there's been a whole bunch of things. Like I turned 40 last year. I didn't do shit. And there's nothing you can do because <laughs> you couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't do anything, you know? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. It's one, you know what I mean. So I, I like when I saw that, I thought that was a really cool way to do that for the business to kind of make sure that you're sort of like positioning. Yeah, it's not that. Yeah, it's ten plus one. I thought that was really clever and just like a way to, you know, keep that sort of exciting, the bigger the spirit alive with like celebrating a milestone. You know, craft beer is a relatively young industry, and not that many hit that milestone of, of ten years. Let's be real, like a lot of it's a tough one to make it that long. So yeah, uh, yeah. I feel like it yeah, is absolutely. worth celebrating. I thought that was really cool. <laughs> you know? We agree. We agree. Yeah. Um, so people should definitely get down to the brewery um, in Junction and check it out. Uh, your products are obviously available in uh, many LCBOs, beer stores, grocery, mm -hmm. um, independent yep. stores, uh -huh. everywhere. 
Um, <laughs> when for this will drop probably a week or two from when we're recording. When are the uh, the RTDs are they available for people immediately, or are they coming soon? Yeah, available now. Yep. Available now. You can get them online or at a top room. Yeah, love to see it. Um, so this has been awesome, man. Like I really enjoyed this conversation. I knew it was going to be great. Um, thank you so much for your insight and uh, perspective on everything. I really appreciate it. I think that uh, you know it's fascinating what you guys are doing. I think it's it's really great. I think it's undervalued uh, what you're contributing to uh, craft beer and you know helping thank you. helping breweries grow. You know, uh, updating a brand that's been around for a decade plus and uh continuing to innovate and, and to, to offer drink is a, a fantastic space and um yeah and, and just quality products consistently that uh are really thoughtful and and, and catered to a, a wider audience i think it's uh, i think it's brilliant bro congratulations on everything awesome man. that's very kind thank you so much thanks for having me this has been fun genuine pleasure where can everybody find junction uh, online yeah, so you can get us at junctioncraft.com or woodhousebrewing.com are the two main uh, sites, and you can get us online there, and or it'll point you in the direction to where you can find uh, find the products near you. Love to see it. Um, also, I think on social, I think it's a jun- it's either Junction Craft or it's Junction Brewery. Maybe it's Junction yeah. Craft across. No, the Junction board. Craft or Woodhouse Perfect. Brewing. Yeah, love to see it. I'm going to take a screenshot of uh, of this for the thumbnail. Do you want to hold up? Uh, some of the cans. Yeah, I'll sure. try and get like see if I can get three of these bad boys in. I can do it. It's been a while. It's been a while. I feel confident though. Here we go. Here we go. Come on. Come on. You got this. Come on. Alright, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna do that. Here we go. Oh shit, that looks nice. Oh that, that looks terrible. That's that's horrendous. You know what it is? It's using my opposite finger. I'm all I'm all oh, no. I'm all I'm all new here, so I don't know what the hell is going on. Here we go. That's all right. I can go like that. There we go. But this doesn't feel go. right either. It's been so long, bro. Like two months, I'm just like, I don't understand what I'm doing. It's okay. The people are used to it. Here we go. I can probably hold up just so they can see it. Perfect. All right. Yeah, one, two, four. There we go. All right. Ready? Yep. <laughs> Beautiful. Um, stick around. I'm just going to wrap this up, and then we'll uh, we'll finish up on li- uh, offline now. Um, thanks again, awesome, bro. Really appreciate you. That's awesome. Um, thank you. Same. Genuine pleasure. Everybody, thank you for watching. Um, happy to be back after a solid uh, couple months off. Um, I hope you guys got to catch up on all the old episodes. We kind of like pumped them out for a bit, so we gave you guys some time to, to get back up on it. Um, we'll be back consistently now. Uh, if you guys enjoyed the episode, please smash the thumbs up. Hit subscribe below. Hit the notification bell so you know when the new videos drop. Follow us everywhere on social media at BAOS Podcast. And check out the long-form audio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts. We are available everywhere. Check that out. We'll be back next week. We'll see you then, guys. Cheers. See ya.